I think for Munster, for them in order to get a performance and a result, they need to concentrate on how well they've played over the last eight weeks since that kind of most Six Nations win. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. All right, it's half past seven. It's Monday morning. Journal on with you all the way through until ten. The big news overnight wasn't really really overnight. You could have stayed up and watched this. Was that Justin Thomas is the new uh, US PGA champion? He beat Will Zalatoris in a three-hole playoff. Well, it went three holes in the end, and uh, Roy McIlroy finished three strokes off the winner. He's on two under. The two lads are on five under into the playoff. Mito Pereira, who led for a good bit of the last 36 hours or so, finished on four under. And uh, Seamus Power dropped back to one under. So a top eight finish for Roy McIlroy. Top nine finish for Seamus Power. But really all McIlroy had to do was power his way around after his opening round on uh, Thursday. And uh, he'd be there with the Wanamaker Trophy. So that was the crack overnight. Anything from you, Owen? No, that's like a, a very, very unsurprising development that Rory McIlroy was in and around the leaders. If you looked at uh, the round four standings, he, he wasn't the leader in round four like he was at the Masters, but he was still pretty close. Justin Thomas was, was the story on the Sunday, and as a result, he was the winner. But that Mito Pereira collapse was absolutely extraordinary and heartbreaking for him, which we'll get to in the performance rankings. All right, uh, we're going to get to the performance rankings in a second. Here's what's coming up between now and 10. Mark Lawrence is going to join us at 7.55, so in 25 minutes' time, we'll be picking over the carcass of the Liverpool pain. All the Man United fans out there seem very happy today, for some reason. Uh, we've got a whoop update with Tommy at half past eight, sports pages at 8.40. Uh, Taggy Fogart is going to talk to us about hurling and the uh, precipitous collapse of Tipperary and Waterford in particular, but also the fact that we're going to get Galway versus Kilkenny and round two of the handshakes. Uh, that's at 8.50. Alan Quinlan's going to join us at 10 past 9. don't know if you saw this over the weekend. You might, have, you might have missed it. But the second best team in Ireland are now Leinster B. We put that to him at Leinster 10 past a, 9. Use proper rugby terminology, Jer. I mean, I, I'm, trying to get the, uh, I'm trying to explain it for the GA fans, you know. Um, the, the training matches. The junior uh, team. Well, you know, you know the way, always, the training matches. Uh, at Kilkenny training, that's the best and second best team in the country. And then that, that handily switched over to uh, the Dublin footballers now it's actually demonstrably true that if you were to put Leinster B team versus their A team in GA parlance it would be the best game in the country like no one can no one can tell you otherwise buddy because you know at the Aviva Munster had the chance to prove that wrong anyway we'll get to that a little bit later 7.33 oh well, look we've already managed to troll every fan group apparently <laughs> We? Accidentally. Oh, not even on screen at the moment. It's time for the performance rankings, but we're going to get to that after we get our competition in. We have a competition for you today. And unfortunately, I don't have my script here on, <laughs> so you might be able to deliver for me, would you? Deliver the scripts for you. The yeah. competition this morning at 7.33. We are calling all cycling enthusiasts. Skoda are the official main partner of the Tour de France. And to celebrate on OTB Sports, we have a once-in-a-lifetime giveaway. Hang on, we, we actually do need to talk about this once in a lifetime giveaway, right? We're, we're eating into our time here, but this is literally the best competition prize we have ever, ever done, isn't it? It, it absolutely We, we can is. both testify to it. We, we both did this. We, this used to be a junket that we were allowed to go on. Yeah, how come this is a prize for I people and not just something that's given to us anymore? I don't know. It used to be a thing that we, we would get. <laughs> and then I think stupidly we said, you should give that away to like competition winners. That would be a great thing to like, really great thing to do. Because it's literally the best thing 
in all of sport that I've ever done ever. It's like yeah, we do we do obviously um, point out the facts that people like Adrian Barry enjoy prawn sandwiches and uh, premium seats and good views. Um, the biggest premium experience I will ever have in life is, is this the yeah. 2017 Tour de France where you're taking around in... You get to see the th- a stage of the Tour de France in three different stages, essentially. You get chauffeured to the starting line for that morning stage. Then you get driven to a helicopter. A helicopter then flies you over the stage, and then you get off quickly into a Jeep where it brings you to the end of the stage so you can see the conclusion of the stage. It's like um, te- it, teleportation, basically. Well, I guess that's the whole point. If you're lucky enough, helicopter. Wait, the, helicopter t- the helicopter brings you to the middle of the stage, and then you have some, like champagne and nice food at the side of the, the road and then the leaders pass you by and if the leaders have a big enough gap to the peloton you get in a car and you drive behind the leaders and you're li- literally in the middle of the race yeah it's, it's incredible um, we, so you should enter our competition it's really easy to enter do you want me to continue come on you're doing a great it? job yeah so this amazing prize is a vip trip to stage 13 of the tour de france from the 14th to the 16th of july which includes flights and accommodation for a winner plus a partner all you need to do for a chance to win is to be available to travel from the 14th to the 16th of July and let us know who this famous cyclist is. Gary, what are you are you a complete rookie? What are you talking I mean, about? Let us know by tweeting at off the ball with your answer. And each daily winner will win a 100 euro one for all voucher and a Skoda cycling jersey and we'll go into the draw for the grand prize. Best of luck, Skoda drivers, for another chance to win. Check out skodaservice.ie. Jared, back to you. Time is this our Eurovision kind of like uh, preparation here? That's 10 out of 12 points. Right. Uh, Man United fans are sick of Liverpool fans thinking that Jurgen Klopp invented football, says John Claffey. Time to find out what we think in the performance rankings. You know, that wasn't an All-Ireland winning performance. Probably should have won the game based on their second half performance. Is it a step too far to say it was the performance so far of the World Cup? Maybe not. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. I'm, I'm, I'm scratching my head. The performance was just lacked that intensity. Boom. Okay, so every Monday morning here in the performance rankings, we go through uh, the bad, the good, the grand. We go through the red, then the amber, then the green. Let's have a look at what's uh, up for grabs today. Uh, we've got uh, Waterford, PSG, Manchester City and Leeds. But first up in the red, the very, very red, the scarlet is the OTBAM team. Because sometimes we get things wrong on this show. Sometimes we just completely drop the ball. We don't have our research done. We don't have our facts right. Last Monday was one of those days. We sat here on Monday last, chatting through life, chatting through sport, thinking that everything was fine, but everything was not fine. People at home would have noticed that something was wrong. Jerry Gilroy was not happy whatsoever. Yesterday, last Monday rather, was a pretty big day, wasn't it, Jer? Look at your face there last Monday, as we forgot. Kind of sunburned. Your birthday. But hey, better late than never. One week late. Happy birthday, Jer. Oh my God, you you are such a bag of dicks. We didn't do this Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. We thought it would be just better to, you know, do it on Monday when we actually found out. You kept this quiet. What age? It's, what age were you last I week? Did, I did. I was forty-five last week. Because, oh, still a, forty-five this week too. A big birthday! So happy birthday to you from me and from all the OTBAM team who picked up the ball and ran with it this week. So that is our first message out of the way this week. Uh, that is the only thing we got wrong, of course, last week. We never get things wrong on this show. Uh, it's actually my wedding anniversary today, which I kind of forgot. So. She just did a happy birthday again for his wedding anniversary. <laughs> Congratulations. Thanks, Alan. <laughs> okay. Was there actual sport at the weekend? Uh, I think there was. Look at that for an actual list. You've been kicked off the bottom of the performance rankings by Mito Pereira. Ooh. We'll get to that in just a moment. But... Um, 
Let's kick things off at Waterford, to be honest, because I think that's one of the, the, the bigger stories. And I think they would actually be the team in fifth place this week, as opposed to Milo Pereira, who uh, I kind of feel a little bit sorry for this morning. So uh, Waterford hurlers have been dumped out. It's not the biggest surprise in the world, given what happened the previous week against Cork, but it is a massive surprise, given what we saw at the end of the league, and even what we saw at the start of this year's hurling championship, where themselves and Limerick looked like the two best teams in the country when they went head-to-head in the first round. They've won one game in the round-robin format ever. This I know it's like we're three years into this now, three full years, but having won one game in those three seasons in, in this new format in the Munster Championship is just uh, an astonishing development for a team that I've come close to, played in All-Ireland Finals, who've come close to, to being one of the best teams in the country. We thought they were on the crest of a wave last year after an encouraging 2021. Liam Cahill was kept on for another two years. He's on a two-year contract extension and all of a sudden we get to the end of this year's Munster Championship and it feels like Liam Cahill could walk out the door. He says he's not going to rush into any decision. He, as I say, he does have another year in his deal, but he's uncertain as to whether or not he's actually going to hang around. And not only did they lose yesterday, but they got an absolute hockeying which is uh, one of the most uh, astonishing things about this. And it seems, on some level, like the Munster Championship is just this random thing that can throw up any results. Or maybe, actually, Clare and Limerick are just the two best teams and we need to, to kind of realise this and, and Waterford just aren't on their level. I don't actually know what to think and I don't know what to put this Waterford uh, disaster down to over the last few weeks because it does seem very, very strange given the league form. And I know league doesn't matter. I, I mean, it's it's really shocking when you consider that we thought that they were going to be able to catapult forward after the Ballygunner success into the league and then use that as this kind of rolling ball of knives through the championship and be the second best team in the country at least and potentially have the game to be able to put it right up to Limerick. And even at, after the first round of championship matches, you thought, OK, that, that's fine. There's there's enough there for us to be able to to build on. But... Jesus, this was like a horrific outcome for them, really, all told. And then aftermath, completely overshadowed by leaking of the team and a suggestion that somebody in the dressing room was, you know, not fully on board. And that's the type of stuff it's very, very difficult to come back from. And so I know Liam Cowell saying now's not the time to make any rash decisions, unless unless it's just one or two individuals. But it, it didn't feel that way. It, it, it came so far away from where we thought it was so quickly that to be able to get that back on track is the type of thing that feels like um, you can try but I've never seen it work like you, you just have never seen it work you've never seen anybody be able to come in and go okay we absolutely lost it last year but don't worry we know what we're doing and we can get it back and I'm not talking about just the management team it's like the management team and the senior players and the character of the dressing room needs to be really under the microscope like who are the people in the dressing room who are the leaders and what is it about them that is allowing this to happen year on year on year over the last however long it is now so mm. and I, I think like there's, there's there's the same goodwill in neutral counties for Waterford as there is for any other Irish sports team we're desperate for them to win we're, we really want them to succeed but it ain't happening I, I wonder as well what some of the kind of storylines we did see over the last few weeks tell us about Waterford. Like, we know obviously that the first week of this year's Munster Championship, Austin Gleeson was left on the bench after he was sent off a couple of games previous to that in the league. Now, 
this, this is not a, any suggestion of, of Austin Gleeson or anything like that, but I, but I wonder did Liam Cahill's decision to keep him on the bench that day maybe speak to his need to try and take a tighter grip on that dressing room? Again, I'm not saying that, that Gleeson was, was, was a problem or anything like that, but, but maybe that just indicated that the manager was, was trying to do things to try and, as I say, take a tighter grip on things. And I wonder, does, does that speak to a problem or, or am I reading too much into that? Like the question around Gleeson, like the things that we do know, is was what we see on the pitch. And Eddie Brennan in the, in the Independent today is making the point that you want to see him back sitting as a sweeper. You, you want to see him back there. You, you don't want to see him up in the attack. And that's a question for the management as opposed to, to Gleeson himself, where he is positioned when it comes to application and things that are happening behind the scenes. We just don't know. As the thing is, yesterday, like Tony Kelly was rested. Um, there was there was whole the, the questions we were asking all week. Can Waterford win this game against Clare? Came down to this question of whether or not Clare would continue their momentum or whether or not they would make a few changes. They made a few changes and they still hockeyed them, which is just absolutely incredible. So uh, I think Clare deserve huge credit on that front as well because I, I think when you talk about trying to put the genie back in the bottle with poor seasons, I'm not saying Clare had a season like Waterford have had this year over the past couple of years, but it did feel like Brian Lohan hadn't really had any success to speak of. And we were certainly unsure about how good a manager Brian Lowen was. And now this year, I think you've got to hand a huge amount of credit to Clare who managed to turn it around. Yeah, no, maybe. Maybe there's a parallel there. And and maybe with the early Tiger Burke injury and a couple of other injuries as well. But notwithstanding that, this was a team who had momentum, who had a pattern of play, who had a defined way and, and an identity coming out of the league and then that blew up in championship when the pressure came on and I, like I don't know how important the leaking of the cha- of the team really is big deal was being made of it yesterday like somebody tells somebody something and then the team is actually as it was like I, I don't know I, some of that stuff doesn't really matter and it gets blown up in the aftermath and the microscope gets more intense so I think he's, he's like we were talking about him somebody had said he's manager of the year material you know after the league like and that's that's the level that his reputation is at so um maybe if they decide that they sh- they they want to go back they should be given the opportunity to go back it's just that that might just be a lost year for everybody if they do mm. the thing is i mean like are we reacting too much like i mean to, to like we could also have Tipperary in the red here this morning let's not forget after after getting dismantled by cork yesterday is, is it an overreaction to just be like those two teams didn't get out of Munster therefore they're in the red um i'm not uh, sure i'm not sure it would be given the magnitude of the defeats they shipped yesterday and we keep score for a reason yeah you know like, like i i it, it does feel that the, the um, ejections from Munster this year feel a bit more significant than in previous years that they say is kind of like a little bit of a a real sort of ranking on on where the the power is in Munster and like I guess the, the resurgence from Cork over the last little while like Tipperary are arguably in a in a worse position than Waterford at this point Tipperary have to keep training Tipperary could be out in a in a relegation playoff in a few weeks time if Kerry win the Joe McDonough Cup which is a little bit embarrassing. Antrim will look them. after them. Don't worry, it's grand, and they'll still be they'll still be carry with whatever team they put out. Is the is the golfing class between those two teams? That's, yeah, like, what, that's what's the truth. Like, what's your take on that? Like, should should they have to go through a playoff for that? Um, I mean, I I, I don't know. The the we keep getting told the hurling championship is great and it works perfectly, but it isn't really great, mm-hmm. and it doesn't work perfectly, and like it's not giving us the the best teams up against the best teams. There should be. Like if the league is so if the league is so useless, then we could definitely move to a conference system where you you keep your Munster and your Leinster teams, but they all play uh, each other, 
and they also also play the Joe McDonough team so that they get an opportunity to step up. Like there's definitely a better system for hurling as they sit and rest on their laurels, laughing at how the football championship is evolving into this dog's dinner that it has become. Mm, for sure. Uh, we'll come back to that later on with uh, Taggy Fogarty, who'll be analysing the weekend's hurling. There's just a, a good heap of stuff to get into before we get to, to Mark Lawrence this morning. Just a quick word on Mito Pereira, who's also in the red this morning. One of our commenters is saying Rory McIlroy should be in the red this morning. Fair point. Probably after Thursday, it was a hugely disappointing weekend, and especially going two under par yesterday, that would have, would have been a final round that would have been more than good enough had he actually uh, had a better Friday and Saturday, and he could well have been in the mix. Like you look at that leaderboard, and you see Rory McIlroy just lingering behind him, and you think to yourself, he should absolutely be in the mix. But Mito Pereira was in that mix. He was a stroke clear with the ball on the tee at the 18th. Like this is absolutely incredible what, what happened. Like the oh my word the commentator when he sees the ball in the water is just one of those all-time dramatic moments it probably won't be remembered all that much considering it's Mito Pereira and not you know Jordan Spieth at Augusta in, in, in 2016 but it's still pretty incredible like I, I saw someone in Sports Illustrated making the point that it's, it's not John, Devel, John Van de Velde Carnoustie because of the fact that he actually makes a playoff in the end and, and bottles it from there but I don't know the fact that you're in the lead and then all of a sudden you're not even in the playoff I think is, is ripping the plaster off and, and even more dramatic and like I'm, I've never made a, uh, a TikTok reference on this show before, but there was a, a, a TikTok during the rounds uh, a couple of uh, over the last few weeks where a guy like walks out of a, a mansion carefree, and the caption is saying, "It is what it is." After going through one of the most traumatic experiences of my life, what did Mito Pereira say in his uh, post uh, round conference yesterday? Uh, it is what it is. Uh, we have that TikTok on screen actually. Uh, so that that is Mito Pereira. Um, after, after yes, I, I think that that's. I, I'm not sure. Like obviously, the, the stories around Justin Thomas and and Will Zalatoris and the, the, the three hole playoff and Thomas getting his second USPGA title. I think only the fourth golfer under the age of 32 got to two uh, USPGAs. But for me, the the story is is, is an incredible conclusion to to meet up Pereira's week. I thought you were going to break into my money down jiggle jiggle there for a second. No, that is for uh, the next. Uh, that is for Amber uh, Paris Saint Germain, of course, because uh, their money is definitely folding. Uh, look, I, I think Rory definitely at this stage, it's just, um, you know, it's a backdoor top 10 again. There was a birdie opportunity around 12 or 13 and it just, you know, he had the wedge in his hands from 90 yards having driven it further than everybody else all week and it was uh, it was like, okay, well, this, is the, this is the moment for them but he couldn't make that and that was the bit that would have put pressure on everybody else and then everybody else did come back to him enough where you kind of feel like it was there for him if he was just able to put together a bit of a push, but he left himself too much to do because Friday and Saturday were no good compared to Thursday this time, Thursday and Sunday. So We will probably be copying and pasting this conversation exactly. into another major yeah. in the future. Uh, in Amber is Paris Saint-Germain. Uh, so Saturday is when a WhatsApp was sent from Kylian Mbappe to Florentino Perez to say, uh, sorry about this, but I'm actually staying in Paris. This is my home city and uh, I love this club also love money and I love power and uh, I will be staying here and it's I guess kicked off a whole sequence of different events the reason why PSG first of all are in the amber as opposed to the green uh, is that it is now FC Mbappe at this point given the demands that he has I guess been been accepted with Uh, he's obviously got a 100 million euro a year deal the money doesn't actually matter it does feel or it does seem looking at some of the reports that he's going to have a huge say in off-field decisions and appointments in Paris Saint-Germain's 
hierarchy. So you've got a couple of notable departures happening this season. Uh, Pochettino's probably on the way out. Leonardo, the sporting director, is on the way out. Mbappe will be consulted, it seems, on the appointments of the successors. Now, we often have a conversation on the show about how you know great players don't necessarily make great managers. I would say that great players are even less likely to make great advisors or you know great uh, consultants or football directors. I, I think that uh, accepting that a player has such a say in this is it, it has the potential for a disaster. And, and also, we've seen that moulding a football club around one player just doesn't work. Like they could go and win the, uh, the the Champions League next season, and I, we, we like the, that statement could just seem utterly stupid. But that's just because they have balls of cash and themselves are Manchester City will more than likely win the Champions League at some point over the next little while. But what this has kicked off is obviously Perez is is fuming. But separately to that is the La Liga statement that came out on Saturday was incredible, and this is not La Liga coming out sticking up for one of their clubs. This is Javier Tabas who has been at odds with Florentino Perez at multiple times over the last couple of years, coming out and questioning the fairness of all of this. He, he called it, well, the La Liga statement said that this was an attack on the economic stability of European football. The statement said it's scandalous that a club like PSG, which last season reported losses of more than €220 million, Euro, with a squad cost of around €650 million for this season, can close such an agreement, while those clubs that could afford the hiring of a player without seeing their wage bill compromised are left with, without being able to, to sign him. They said that they're going to file a complaint against PSG before UEFA. But the thing that we do know over the last little while is that PSG have such power in European governing football circles, like Al Khalifi sits at the top of the ECA, and for this to, to, to change at any time soon doesn't seem likely. So like, it does seem, initially when you look at that league statement, it's like, oh, this is sour grapes because one of the greatest players in the world isn't coming to your league. But I do wonder if there is like the nugget of a point there, especially when you consider that La Liga hasn't always been on Perez's side and they haven't necessarily always been on Real Madrid's side. So what you have next season is, is Mbappe and, and Haaland playing for Abu Dhabi and playing for Qatar. And in this Perez versus Al-Khalafi battle, which is, I guess, indicative of where football is at at the moment, Al-Khalafi has won. Uh, for now, yeah. And, and look, it's interesting. I, I do think there's a possibility this works like for... Paris Saint-Germain and by work I mean they just need to win the Champions League once and everything then will therefore fall into place it hadn't been working before with the constant power struggle between Leonardo and whoever the manager was so Leonardo's gone Pochettino's gone let's see who comes in like if Zidane comes in then is everything going to just be peaceful are they just automatically friends like does Benzema arrive after the World Cup? I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. Did you see Benzema's uh, Instagram post the other day? No. Uh, he put up a photo of uh, Tupac with his friend who betrayed him in the background. So <laughs> I, I would suspect that Benzema and Mbappe were chatting about how they were going to dominate La Liga together at Real Madrid. And uh, maybe, maybe Mbappe betrayed him. Follow the whole thing through and go, oh, I can just join you. Like, no? And everybody lives. Maybe he can't go back to Paris. I don't know. Uh, it's an interesting story. We've only two more minutes left to do the last two bits. So, Yeah, Manchester City are in the green. Uh, they are Premier League champions once again. Very dramatic, yes. Was it a miracle? Absolutely not, because uh, they're incredibly well-resourced. I think Manchester City 
should be forced to have a 37-year-old at the heart of their defence forever. Yeah. Forever. Uh, like, it should be the punishment for anybody who uh, comes close to breaking financial fair play rules. Just be forced to play a 37-year-old defender at the heart of your defence and, uh, and bring the level down a little bit because Aston Villa kept playing that ball over the top. Manchester City knew they kept were going to do that thing they were pretty time good and time it. again. And they should have scored three goals off it. Uh. The Ollie Watkins uh, moment from him being inside his own half, like he should have converted that opportunity. They should have been 3-0 up. And the yes. one where he nearly got a penalty. Yes. Like, I mean, if you're going to pick somebody from the Manchester City team to, to be the hero, you're probably going to pick Helge Gundogan. He, he is one of the more likable players uh, in the Premier League. So uh, it's, I'm happy for, for Gundogan. And you know what? It was a, a couple of hours of real drama. But let's not get carried away and say this is some sort of uh, fairy tale that, is, that has happened in Manchester because it isn't. Uh, here's uh, Roy Keane's pitch invasion rant. Have a listen. Disgraceful, really is, and I tell you, something's going to—a player or a manager is going to be seriously injured. If you're mad enough to come on and punch a player, then you're going to be mad enough to do something silly like stab a player. There'll be something crazy happen. I think when COVID happened, play, people have come back after COVID and forgot how to behave themselves. Idiots, scumbags, disgrace. A, a player walking off a pitch and, and getting attacked. We've seen it during the week, obviously, a couple of times at Forest, St. Patrick, Vieira. The club's absolutely disgraceful. I mean, he's right, right? Like, there's definitely a rose-tinted view that pitch invasions are cool and we we all would have done them when we were young. We all would have been on pitches after matches thinking this is actually amazing and it is amazing. But, like, uh, you add in the the uh, toxic mix of entitlement and cocaine and all of a sudden people on the pitch at matches, it's not as... Uh, it's not the sepia-tinted nostalgic, nice, warm, patting lads on the back and going, well done. It's like far more aggressive and it's grim. Yeah, like it's, it's, it stems from this place of if you're uh, a sports fan, there seems to be this increasing culture of wanting to make your opponents feel as miserable as possible after their misfortune. And I get that sport is all about um, basking in the glory of your rivals not succeeding. But it does feel it's kind of just gone over, it, 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 it like bubbles over to a really distasteful level even before pitch invasions. Like just the complete antagonising of opposition players or fans, uh, especially in football grounds, and I think that's probably the manifestation of it in a in a physical sense. The, the thing that we've seen over the last little while: Billy Sharp, Patrick Vieira, Robin Olsen, all in the space of six, what five days. Yeah, yeah, it's mad. Well, I mean, obviously the pitch invasions are only going to happen at the end of the season, but um, the the ramping up and the amping up of it, where uh, you know the attacks have got as much as they have as quickly as they have, it's kind of ridiculous. Uh, leads are in the green as well, right? But why don't we just save our leads in the green chat for football, which is coming up in in just a second? So it's seven fifty six. That's this week's performance rankings. OTBAN's performance rankings with Gillette. All right, Mark Lawrenson is with us. Mark, we might actually start with, with Leeds because we just skipped over them there. But uh, what an achievement to get out of it. And Rafinha with the fans celebrating is the best aspect of players and fans' connection in the immediate aftermath. How did they manage to get out of the trouble they were in over the last few weeks? What is it about them? Um, resilience, I suppose. Um, and they are kind of bloody-minded. I mean, in, in the previous games, they were playing angry. And you, you saw that in terms of getting players sent off. And in fairness to the to the manager, I, I struggle a bit to listen to him because it's sometimes like really, but he's he's done a very very good job. Look, without the best players as well, and conceding loads of goals this season, it's one of those where you're just happy to get out of it. Um, 
And, you know, they've done it. That's the most important thing. It doesn't really matter how, but they've done it and obviously can start again next season. There's been a few teams in recent seasons who have used their last day escape to become mid-table or, you know, safe from relegation earlier in the season. Villa were one of them, for example. And you would think if they can keep Calvin Phillips for one more year and if Bamford comes back, then all of a sudden they're just a completely different team from the start next year. Yeah, isn't there, isn't there um, and I think it's more than taught, that they're going to be bought out? Yes, yeah, so the, the 49ers have, have been investing in them slowly over the last couple of years. And Right. I mean, they're not, well, they're not owners who have loads of money to invest. They are billionaires on the basis of the fact that they own an American football team, but it'll be interesting to see what happens. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, they, they, will, they will obviously, they will invest, though. I mean, I mean, the team will be invested in, as in getting new players, because, you know, the big tranche of um, Premier League money that, that now comes in, they might want to, Get rid of one of the players, maybe fifty, sixty million, and and you know two or three players in stuff like that. But I don't, I don't see them having a problem next season. And also, by the way, when when you look at the teams that are going to come up um, straight away, they've not even played a game. But you're thinking, really, Bournemouth, Fulham, um, Forest might make it, obviously. But I mean, Forest three best players, arguably, are the three long players. So. Um, I think it might even be easier next year to stay in the league if you're a if you're a Leeds or an Everton or, or one of those teams. When he said there a moment ago, he struggled to listen to the manager. What what do you mean by that? Um, I just think he's full of SH1T at times. It's like you know, he's talking stuff, quoting quoting Kipling to players doesn't doesn't work. Rudyard Kipling, it's probably Mister Kipling would have been better, but it's I don't I don't get all that you know, and it's like. Um, I remember when I was at Brighton and we used to have the um, the, the poem If and and occasionally Alan, Alan Mullery who was a manager would obviously point to it and says you, you look it's there in the dressing room all the time you forgot to you know read this before you go out and all that kind of stuff and the players end up throwing mud at it and all that that, that kind of stuff so I think with, with, with players the least amount of information you give them the better. They they don't understand all these quotes and stuff, do they? Um, some of them might. Some of them might do, but uh, might might be an exception. Well, there won't. There won't. There, I'll tell you now. There won't be many. There will not be many, and they won't even know who, the, who Kipling is. Seriously, no chance. <laughs> we need to. We need to. You need to go in and change that, uh, Mark. Um, the, <laughs> the the debate then, and the, just on the other side of that, very quickly before we move on to the. Um, title race in Manchester City yeah. it's just Burnley and uh, the job that Mike Jackson did in the aftermath of the Sean Dyche sacking it did seem yesterday a lot of people pushed the button on ah, that's what you get for uh, sacking Sean Dyche and uh, you, you deserve everything you got Burnley where, where do you sit on, on that conversation? Well Sean Dyche did a really really good job but he probably just outstayed his, his welcome in all honesty it probably you know, it was time for him to walk up to walk away and um, my my problem about all that is is this guy who owns them doesn't he now have to pay sixty million quid because because of the way he borrowed the money to buy the football club which straight away is a worry so you know there's going to be a fire sale but I think and I know I know Mike Jackson because he was at Preston for a while um, under David played under David Moyes and he, he's done a really good job because I think he just he, he gave them a little bit of freedom it was almost right you know what whatever's happened. Let's just go out and play. And he immediately played with a, a little bit of width. We know they've got two stroke three big centre forward, big, big centre forwards who thrive on the crosses from either side. And he got an immediate um, 
sort of well, be- better, far better results is, is, is a work, word I'm looking for. But there was always then a case where you think, well, how long will it last? And, and unfortunately, it probably didn't last quite long enough. But I don't think you'd get the job, will he? I mean, everybody would be sending the CVs in as we speak, So, um, which, which is a pity for him. But uh, you can imagine that's the way the world is, isn't it? And, it, and the championship, as I know, is, is, is dog-eat-dog, by the way. It'd be very interesting to see how well they do down there. The parachute payment might look after the sixty million immediate, but they're not going to be able to spend Ooh. it on players. You know, it's going to be. I don't think. I don't think it will look after. I think. I think the way that, that, it, that he's, he's borrowed this money, I think, is a, a real worry for, for for the supporters. But you know, they've, they've got players that they could sell, obviously, and, and some will want to go anyway. But. Um, Nathan Collins is one that has already, from an Irish perspective, been linked away. Did he do enough over the year to say, "Yeah, here's a here's a Premier League centre back in the making"? Um, possibly. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I would put him like if he split the Premier League into three divisions, he would be in the third division as yet. But yeah, possibly. I mean, he, you know, he's got good habits, and he will have good habits under Sean Dice in terms of defensively. So. He's got a chance, but I mean, Tchaikovsky is it? I think he'll he'll go. Um, McNeil will probably look to go. The guy they signed from France is Corne. Yeah, he's, they yeah. they won't be hanging around, will they? Then then they're not going to do a, a season in the championship. And you know, straight away you're dismantling the team. And and unless you've got fantastic recruitment, thinking that you were going down, but you've looked at quite a few of the teams in the in the. Championship, if you compete some of their players, I think it's going to be a struggle for them. All right, let's talk a little bit about uh, what happened in the game between uh, Manchester City and Aston Villa. I'm an Aston Villa fan, so no, at no stage, even when it was two 0 did I think, well, that's over. I can put the feet up here. I've seen this movie a lot, particularly against the good teams, where Villa miss a host of chances. It, yeah. it, it could have been four at four 0 I would have been. Oh, this is interesting. I'm, I'm, I maybe have a little bit of faith that they might be able to see this through. But um, what did you make of it? Well, I mean, it was just fantastic television. That's the first thing, wasn't it? And also yesterday, I mean, on, on Sky, you could watch all the, all the goals going. I was doing the Liverpool game, so I wasn't party to that, but everyone was telling me it was just brilliant. So, um, should have been 3-0, most definitely. 3-0, I think I think City would have struggled to come back. Um, and obviously, you know, the irony as well would be that, you know, Gundogan coming on and scoring twice. Well, he used to play for Klopp, didn't he? So I bet that went down well. But listen, um, City can do this. Big, the big teams tend to see it, to do this on a regular, on regular occasions. I mean, you look at you look at Madrid against City. Um, you know, in other games that we've seen, we've seen that with Liverpool as well. But I just think with teams like like Aston Villa is, even though you were two 0 up, I don't really think amongst that team that they really believed that they were going to at least draw the game. Never mind even win it because you're almost as a, as a as a player you're waiting for the onslaught to happen and once the first goal went in it just triggered everything else. They did fall really quickly like a house of cards yeah. after that. Yeah, well, that's it was it was like the inevitable, isn't it? Because it, you go to the game and you're thinking, "Crikey, we might get absolutely punnelled here today. We might get a five and start really well and score. And it's almost like you can't believe how well you're doing. And I think, you know, with, with the lower teams against really top teams, it's then a case of, well, 
you know, when's when's the hurricane coming? It, you know, it must come at any kind of time. And then you only need one or two thinking, oh, it's here, it's here, and you're all over the place. And just the way that I mean, City just swarmed all over them, didn't they, in all honesty. Is that because that's always always the case where the top teams in any championship winning side if you think back to Ferguson's Manchester United they were capable mm. of doing this as well is that inevitable or should the should all the teams in the Premier League now be able to batten down the hatches at 2-0 up given the money well, and resources that they have well they, they, should, they should be more competitive from that point of view but the, the problem is is that you know players just lose concentration and not only that when you, when you play against the Liverpools and the Manchester Cities of, of this world they work you so hard. They're super fit. Uh, they make you know that the ball always travels quicker than than a man can. So the passing's really is it zips into to players, and it's it's really really difficult. By the time you get to about 70, 75 minutes, you kind of feel like, wow, hold on, how, how long left is there that we need to hold out for? So it's more of a case that that's that's why Premier League teams score the good ones score so many late goals, is because. The opposition, mentally and physically, are whacked. Where do you stand on what Manchester City can improve on next season? Like, it did feel that if you take yesterday in isolation, there was obviously a bit of a glaring weakness at the heart of their defence. But you'd assume mm. if Diaz and, and Laporte are fit for a full season, if they got their full-backs fit for a full season, it's, it's an incredible defence, yeah. an incredible goalkeeper and no, and no problems there. But at the same time, they did still have to make do with Fernandinho at the centre of their defence yesterday. So does that suggest that there's a, a potential weakness starting to emerge there if we, if we look ahead to the next season? Well, you missed stones out as well, haven't you? So you've got to throw stones in. So no, I don't, I don't, I don't, mm. I don't see it. And the thing about playing against Manchester City is they probably, on a regular basis, have 70% of the ball of the, you know, in the game. So what you're saying to the opposition is that the 30% time and chances that you have, you know, get on with it because you, you're not going to have much of the ball to actually score goals against them. So, no, I don't I don't see that as, as being an issue. Um, Haaland is just, <clears throat> I think he's a really good signing. He's an interesting signing, but it'll be interesting to see who needs to adapt, whether it's he to the team or the team to him. Um, we've seen that a bit with Grealish as well this year, haven't we? Where he's done okay, probably six out of ten, you would say. If you see Haaland's goals, a lot of them are, are you know, when he's running onto green grass um, towards the goalkeeper, etc. And City play, you know, lovely little um, passes, intricate passes, etc. And I'm not saying he can't play that way, but I, I think with him a little bit is get, get it get it into areas early for him. But that's not really the way that City plays, so it's going to be really, really interesting. But of course. If he catches fire, well, good night, Lucy, to everybody else. Um, David Moyes, obviously, in the Conference League, very disappointed with the way the season ended because it looked like they might be in the Champions League and then yeah. it looked like they were going to be in the Europa League and finally there will be European football next season, but it's not what he wanted. No, well, the, you know, as you know, I know him and he's been saying for a few weeks, they're absolutely late. They were just so leggy. And although he did change the team quite, quite regularly, in Europe, I mean, there's so many players played so many games, and he just said, just didn't quite have enough, not just enough players, but just that extra two or three quality players, which I think he'll get in the summer. So, um, still a good achievement, obviously. And, he, you know, he's pushed, they pushed everybody in that league, and they're very, very difficult to play against. And with a few additions, you know, they, they, they will be better. But now they just, they, they ran out of steam, basically. 
And will Declan Rice be there next season, do you think? I would have thought so. I would have thought he'd probably do another year. Um, but you, you, you just never know. But he's going to be an awful lot of money for everyone who wants to buy him. And I think he's got, has he got two years left or even three? Yeah, two plus one, I think, yeah. Two plus one. So, yeah, I would, I would think so. And he doesn't seem the type of boy who's going to knock on the door and say, right, I've done my bit for you, I want to clear off. But then, of course... And I mean, you know, if somebody comes in and says, well, we'll give you 100 million for him, you, you might be tempted to, to take it. Uh, just on Liverpool, obviously they held up their end of the bargain and would have probably gone down as, a, as an epic comeback themselves had uh, Manchester mm. City been held by Aston Villa. One of the interesting storylines, obviously, from yesterday is it looks like Thiago is going to be a massive doubt for the Champions League final. It looks like yeah. Klopp has basically said that he's going to miss the, 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 the game next Saturday, this Saturday. Yeah. Um, just on that mark, just how, how significant the loss is that in the context of that Real Madrid well, game? Well, what about the, go- what about the goal he created? Mm. Uh, there's, there's nobody... Nobody, in, uh, apart from De Bruyne in the Premier League, would even think about trying to trying to pull that one off. And he sets the tempo for them. He's and he, his passing's not just great; it's just he hits the ball into you really quickly. And it, you know, if you're a decent player, it's much easier to to control when it comes in quickly. But um, and he's very much the heartbeat and creativity. And I, I think Fabinho's probably struggling as well because up until yesterday, I don't I don't think he'd been on the training ground. So, so, so he's another one which is a worry, worry for them because Cater's okay. Obviously, Henderson will be in there, but then you know you might have to chuck somebody else in as well. Which Milner going to start? Who Milner? Is he potentially going to start the Champions League final? Um, I don't think so. Although you never know which one. But I mean, um, he trusts him. So maybe that's what he wants when he looks at the other players and thinks, well, let's let's just let's just be really solid in midfield and be difficult to play against, and and let the front three do their bit against sometimes a weakened Real Madrid side. But I'm not I'm not sure you can't. I don't really know anyone else that is that is going to play. In all honesty, um, you won't you won't think you put any of the kids in. Um, they've disappointed in a little, not disappointed, but they haven't really kicked on. Um, as as he thought they would, so yeah, maybe maybe Milner will start. You know what you get from him. So I mean, you know, he's an up and downer, and he, he works extremely hard. He's experienced, but we're talking about trying to create goals to, to uh, sorry chances to beat Real Madrid in a final. Yeah, yeah, plenty for him to think about over the course of the week. Mark, you've been great. Thanks a million. No problem. Thank you. It's Mark Lawrence and giving us his thoughts there on the situation. Um, like we did talk about the injuries this week and the unlikelihood of them being able to pull back Manchester City. I don't know. You're a neutral. Uh, what did you think when it was 2-0? Well, I thought Manchester City are screwed because I actually thought that... Did you? Uh, yeah, I did. I, um, obviously, I was wrong, as I'm wrong about a lot of things. I, I thought they were screwed in a way that I thought that they were being opened up by Aston Villa. That I thought that you know the, the more this game goes on... It should, happen. Villa it should could, continue to happen. Yeah, that Villa could catch them on the break. The thing is that they, um, it, was, it was the second goal, really. Once they equalised, then he knew it was the, the third was going to come at, at any point. If there had been a bit of a gap between the first and then Villa had you know, put in a, a titanic effort and then all of a sudden Manchester City limped over to get a second, Villa would be like, OK, just one more effort. And, you know, whatever it might have been, five to ten minutes, and we'll get there. Then they might have been able to do it. But I just think the, it was just the quick fire nature of the first two goals. He thought, okay, well, the, the third is the third is coming now. Um, 
See, so. as soon as as soon as the first one went in, I was like, well, you knew you've you've been familiar. But does okay. yesterday not prove you, prove the point that Liverpool were right to not give in? On I don't this know. Title I I don't know because I think that it was inevitable, irrespective of like. I think that there's a case if it had gone three nil, that it still would have <laughs> would have been four three. I do like it depends on what time it scored. But even then, you know, like um, I don't know. It does feel, it does feel like I've seen the Villa film before. That for for all of you out there wondering what it's like to support Aston Villa, that's it. Moments of absolute brilliance, mm. and then this terror that oh no, we've scored too soon. You know the way it's like. Um, the statisticians and the nerds always give out about people who say the 2-0 lead in football is the uh, most dangerous lead because it's not I mean, you know, statistically they are correct it is obviously not but if you are an underdog and you go 2-0 up against a good team it is the most dangerous lead in football because it's like so close to being exciting you're like you're just getting exciting and we're going to do this and then I'd say maybe one in a hundred times well I managed to see off a United or a Liverpool or a City as it is now like Villa yeah. were 2-0 up one time against Inter in like the, U- the UEFA Cup when Tony Cascarino was playing and he missed an absolute sitter and that is the history it's like Mayo kicking wides that's, that's what it is it's like ah oh, sounds like this we, is our culture yeah it sounds like you really wanted Liverpool to, to do it yesterday um yeah, I'm not. I'm not necessarily sure. Like we we, we go through like all the different storylines yesterday. Like there were, there were three there were three different stories yesterday. Uh, at the top, Liverpool showed frailty. Manchester City showed frailty. At the bottom, Burnley obviously showed frailty. Leeds uh, stuttered a little bit as well. And in the top four race, Tottenham showed absolutely no nerves whatsoever. That on the final day of the season, the only team that were nerveless and steely was Tottenham Hotspur. That's interesting, isn't it? What's coming next season? That's that's the Conte bounce. The, well, it's a hurricane. If he stays, if who's finishing third next season? Does Kylian Mbappe get Antonio Conte? And then you're like, Kylian Mbappe is an absolute genius. He got Antonio Conte. <laughs> like, Does if Antonio Conte is looking at the deal that has just been done for Kylian Mbappe, and he's gone, so you gave him 150 million signing on fee. But if I am the manager who delivers the holy grail for you, I want a hundred million bonus. Well, who who would you rather be your boss? Daniel Levy or Kylian Mbappe? I'd say Kylian Mbappe is more crack. I'd say a night out with Kylian Mbappe is better than a night out. You're getting the tasting menu and you're getting the wine pairing with Daniel Levy, but with Kylian Mbappe, you're getting the whole city. There's yeah. like a significant difference. Yeah, no, it's, it's true. Right. 8.16 this morning. Give us your thoughts. The uh, YouTube comments are aflame. You can also tweet us at OffTheBallAM and uh, we pick up your comments there. Use the hashtag OTBAM if you're... You know, too lazy to type out the full the full name. It even autofills for you these days, though, so there's no real excuse. Calling all cycling enthusiasts, Skoda are the official main partner of the Tour de France, and to celebrate on OTB Sports, we have a once-in-a-lifetime giveaway. This amazing prize is a VIP trip to stage 13 of the Tour de France from the 14th to the 16th of July, including flights and accommodation for one winner plus a partner. All you need to do for a chance to win is to be available to travel from the 14th to the 16th of July and to let us know who this famous cyclist is. Gary, what are you? Are you a complete rookie? What are you? Ta- I mean, that. Let us know by tweeting at off the ball with your answer. Each daily winner will also win a one hundred euro one for all voucher and a Skoda cycling jersey, so you can pretend to be Sam Bennett on the streets of Ireland, and you'll go into the draw for the grand prize. Best of luck, Skoda drivers, for another chance to win. Check out skodaservice.ie. Now, after the ad break, you're going to hear from Brian Kerr, who is alongside Stephen Doyle on commentary for OTB Sports on the City game, speaking about City's title and Mo Salah's season in the aftermath of yesterday's final day Premier League madness. Back after these.
OTB AM. Liverpool proved this year that they've got a squad to match Manchester City's. Manchester City's squad was found out a couple of times. You saw that last week when they were at West Ham and they drew. But the defence looked a bit weak. It looked weak on the right hand side. Defence Fernandino today in the first half didn't so that well. They don't trust Ake, a forty million pound player. So you know maybe their squad isn't as deep as, as we've always thought. But I'm, you know they've signed Haaland. I'm sure they'll sign more players this year. Liverpool have made some very very good signings. They're also pulling players through the academy, the likes of Portis Jones, Harvey Elliott, brilliant children of the week. And um, so Manchester City have those players as well, but they've not brought as many through as Liverpool have. They've not played as many. I mean, we look at Foden, he's such an exceptional player, brilliant player. But both of them we expect to strengthen again this year. Cancelo has been outstanding. Um, I'm looking at the back Emerick Laporte. He overcame some problems last season to put in a really good season. Uh, John Stones, yeah, Ruben Diaz, Diaz made Diaz their contributions. Diaz has been an important player. I think the other one who's exceptionally important is Everson, Edison, both for yeah. his distribution and his, and his saves. Didn't have too many to make saves to make today. He was beaten for two goals. But his distribution and starting play from the back, no matter what way teams set up against him, he'd pick out players in advanced positions. Near him is easier, but what, further up the pitch, he can ping the ball into into the front man. I think De Bruyne is a key key man. I yeah. think he had he had a brilliant, he's player of the year in the in the league this year. The soccer writers, I think, went for Salah. Two brilliant players. Who would you went for? Um, I think I, I, I think I might have went for Salah, but you know I don't have a vote in it. I think uh, Salah, for his consistency, the number of goals he scored, um, the fact that he's always fit, he plays every game. He's not one that gets rotated. Though he was left out today, funnily enough. But I admire De Bruyne so much because he's playing in that central area in the pitch. He, um, oh, they're two. Two brilliant he's, players. He's also the but, top scorer for City as well this yeah, season. But I think he's the. Uh, you said you know is he, is he the key key man? I I think he is. All right, it's Brian Kerr. Uh, not quite deciding on who his player of the year was. Um, we can go back and look at our all of our predictions. I think everybody predicted that Man City were going to win, except me. I predicted Liverpool were going to win. No, I'll, I'll hold my hands up and uh, say I got it badly wrong. I predicted Chelsea. All right. Yeah, and. Uh, obviously a terrible season I just thought after the Champions League final last season that they were ready to go and dominate English football that Lukaku was going to bang in 30 goals Mo Salah really needed to come off the bench last yesterday to score as well yeah. because uh, Hyunmin Son scored twice and that meant that they both finished on top of the um, goal scorer charts I don't know I'd love to I, I wish Football League was just a little bit better and gave us all the contracts and all the details to see how much extra they get for finishing top of the golden boot also Youngman Son should just be awarded the golden boot and give it to him because they should tie break it on non penalty goals. Not a bad shout. And just, just let's just be done with this. Penalties do count though. They do? You know? They're easier to score though. Um Youngman Son actually has just been this incredible uh, anomaly, I wanna say, over the the last few years. Maybe not an anomaly, but just in, in isolation he's been incredible. His conversion rate compared to his expected goals is, is off the charts it always has been it's something that's like even in his early days like mystified fantasy football managers he's kind of an outlier yeah, yeah it's like he has to come back he has to regress to the mean 
or to the expected goal a little bit more than that than he he's doing at the moment, and that's just continued for years and years and years. Uh, here's a completely separate point to the rest of the weekend. But Derek Larkin was in touch around seven o'clock this morning to say, "Granted, Tiger is going to win that social media bonus point payment on the PGA Tour again, but isn't Phil more or less guaranteeing himself second with all his antics? Be fun when they have to send him that check. It's an excellent, <laughs> unconsidered point in all this. Is like there's literally no metric in the world where Phil Mickelson is not the most spoken about golfer over the last year." Like I, you've got to give him all the money. I, I think that is, is there's an argument to be made that he is a more impressive PIP golfer than Tiger Woods in 2022 so far. I mean, Tiger's comeback was like this kind of desperation to get to try and wrestle the narrative back, but like by not playing in the tournament last weekend, everyone was like, "Because it's not what? What's going on?" Like Tiger Woods, maybe Greg Norman has to get a little bit of a two, does he? Maybe uh, J- John Daly might have uh, like. Golf carted his way to a place, and it, it like the the average age of the PI, like the golf came up with a concept to reward social media exposure, something for the kids, the kids on TikTok and Instagram to gain money from. The top three PIP golfers in the world: Tiger Woods, Phil Mickelson, and John Daly, with an average age of about sixty four. That that is what's going to happen here. Um, like it, it doesn't. It does pale in comparison. It's a great story, you know, people marvelling at Tiger Woods being able to walk around the golf course on day three, but it's nothing compared to Phil Mickelson referring to the Saudis as scary MFers. Like, that's something we probably didn't expect to see at the start of this golf season. No. Uh, but then going, I'm still going to do business with him anyway. Yeah. It's uh, it very revealing. Jack Bauer-esque. Andrew Garrity says, Morning, lads. Very strange year. There was no Premier League season. I'm a Manchester United fan. Uh, I mean, it was unbelievable. <laughs> it was, like... Even even the end of the season. So, bear in mind that they were up against Crystal Palace, who had experienced the pitch invasion, had had their manager kick the hole off some Everton fan, alive on TV. And then they still come and produce a performance where they're like, no, we're still better than you, Man United. On the last day of the season, you know, when some of you are desperately trying to win a contract, the new manager is here to watch you, and you are still absolutely grimly rubbish. Got to a goal difference of an ice round zero as well, as a result of a 1-0 defeat. Uh, what are the Man United fans feeling at the moment? Is there like Ten Hag press conferences today? Is it so? There's a some hope. There's some sense of like we're going to be able to. You know, he's going to come in and be charismatic. Is he going to win the press conference? I, this uh, in the NFL in recent seasons, this has been very important. That opening press conference. Um, there was definitely rumours that the Forty ers interim coach one year who he was interim he didn't know at the time but he was definitely interim he was only there for a year he farted in the first 10 minutes of his press conference <laughs> and that that kind of metaphorically it, that smell hung around over the whole year and uh, he didn't come back but if you get this wrong you know stuff can happen in the first, <laughs> all of a sudden every single utterance is a referendum on whether or not this is the right decision Yeah. well yeah the, the thing that would uh, maybe slightly concern me about yesterday is Ralph Ranyak saying out of our starting 11, there will be 10, apart from Edinson Cavani, who will be playing for this club next season. So we go through the the, the 10 players yesterday. Fred and McTominay midfield. Uh, De Gea in goal. Maguire Lindelof at the heart of your defence. Dallow and Tellez, your full-backs. And Fernandez Alanga and Hannibal behind Edinson Cavani. Of course, McFred, and, McFred is not going to be your starting midfield next season. Manchester United fans, is it? They will be mere squad players. That no, Don, Donny van happen. de Beek scored yesterday to remind yes. everybody, I'm still, I'm still here, pick me. Pick me, I'm still here. Eric, I mean, we had all that great time together. Yeah, that's going to be the, the transformative moment for Ten Hag and uh, Manchester United as as this kind of off-season does what all off-seasons do, which is make us uh, forget about the ills of the past. Uh, this beautiful sense of amnesia will set in over the next little while as United fans will think, hmm, maybe. 
MOC says having spending power is one thing spending it correctly is another Manchester United wastes so much money it's shameful really I mean that's the whole point they've wasted so much money they've absolutely blown through all of the money that they had but they are still creating loads of money they're still generating massive amounts of revenue and they if they had the right manager you'd be able to turn that around pretty quickly maybe not in one season but there's no reason why in two years you should not be competing for the big cups like 100% they absolutely have and they're in the they're in the Europa League next season so like there's a there's two very doable gateways to Champions League football the following season yeah yeah, like the, the Europa League obviously gave him a bit of heartache, and if, and if you, like Gary Neville seemed to think that the defeat to Villarreal at the end of last season was a, a really bad moment, and the journey of this team it kind of almost precipitated a bit of a downfall. I mean, what uh, like very fragile then, like yeah. really, and cup wins have in the past been used by that club to, um, you know, secure and rubber stamp better things, but like I don't know how how. How crap would it be? Uh, Bobby H says Liverpool Penalty Cup Champions 2022. Uh, MOC back in touch saying only one league title for Liverpool in 32 years. Not good enough, really. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's uh, I don't know. I think Liverpool fans feel alive. That that fear though, no midfield. Your midfield's going to be Henderson, Milner, and one of the kids. Yeah, but like Naby Keita. For, for the greatest Liverpool team of all time any season where you don't win the Premier League or the Champions League is a disappointing season or is a disappointing outcome not a disappointing season so like if they lose on Saturday it will be a disappointing outcome for what was a, a great season um, and then there's obviously no guarantee that anybody other than Manchester City are going to be favourites for that Premier League title next season we said the same thing at the start of this year like we go through our Premier League predictions at the start of this year and I don't think many anybody predicted Liverpool to win it well, can, would have been wrong with it. Can I can I just ask why were why are Man United fans so happy that Man City won the league? Why are they so happy that Liverpool? Because when the goals are going in, the first goal went in yesterday. Like I expected, full kind of Gary Neville stuff in the commentary box, but it was it was the opposite. It was devastation. Mm. It was like oh, there was grunts and groans, as opposed to the ah, oh, the league title is back. It's it's in the mix again, which is kind of. Very unexpected. Because of the treble. Like Manchester United fans cling to 99 as the reason why that team is better than this team. This Liverpool team, I should say. Okay, so it was it was literally self-protection from being involved, like the 1972 Dolphins. Yeah. Okay. But that's my read on it. But that's him. But all the other Man United fans... Yeah, no, I think they're the same. I think the Manchester United fans are the same as Gary Neville. Right. It's just the treble. I think so. So they would like, prefer... I mean, that, that's, just my, that's just my opinion. But like, that's... That's like ignoring the fact that Manchester City are this beast that are never going to be tamed. Well, like the, Man City are here forever now. But that's the acceptance. I don't. I don't think them losing yesterday would have tamed the beast in any way. The beast. You've got to. You've got to try and, for a long time. You've got to try and somehow fight it back at every available opportunity. Like you know, Liverpool's Liverpool's greatness at the moment is inextricably linked with Jurgen Klopp. Mm. Manchester City's greatness is inextricably linked with the fact that they have endless amounts of money. They're literally taking the money out of the ground on a daily basis at a rate at which they cannot spend it. And they're spending it all around the world to try and, you know, I don't know why, but for all the reasons that we think they're, they're doing it. But they can't be stopped. You cannot yeah. stop Manchester City and their money. You can stop Liverpool. That's going to that's gonna fade at some point. When Jurgen Klopp gets tired and burnt out, the next manager who comes along has to be as genius as Jurgen Klopp. They spend hardly any money, really, on balance. Yeah. Whereas Manchester City have an endless pot of cash. So you don't want City to be winning these leagues. 
No, but the thing is, another reason that Manchester United fans would be happy is that Manchester City, what was that, their eighth top-tier title? Liverpool around 19. So they would have, got, would have gone level with Manchester United yesterday. This is what you're thinking. You're not thinking about, you know... In 10 years' time, it'll be 18. Yeah. They'll win nine of the next 10 or 10 of the next 20. 10. But they're, they're going to get there. Yeah. You have to stop them. The Liverpool thing is a rivalry. That's fine. You will... They're, they're, their cycle and your cycle will come on and come off and come on and come off and come on and come off. That's the long form of history. But what's not the long form of history is a, a, gaj- a gajillionaire. We don't, have the, we don't have the number of money that they have. I, I wonder will Manchester United actually just like become world leaders in the fight against global warming and the use of crude oil and their stadium will be heated That's with electricity. Yeah. And it's like, let's actually kill this at Man. source. Yeah. Let's uh, uh. cut off the Middle Eastern money. And uh, this is how we actually wrestle control back. Uh, a more sustainable game uh, for football might actually literally be a more sustainable game for football. Uh, the only way that um, that can stop is if we all stop using oil. And our Manchester United fans, you know what to do. Liverpool Eight. fans do. 8.32 this morning. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Time to move on to something entirely different. Team OTB are taking on Triathigh this June. Very, very soon. It's all in partnership with Whoop, the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. See whoop.com for more. We're joined on the line now for a special update with Tommy Rooney. Tommy, good morning to you. Morning, Jer. Hi, on. Oh, you sound a little bit uh, down in the dumps there, Tommy. Mm, yeah, it's very close. Very, very close. I was on here recently and I was saying, do you know what? It's great. Even if somebody doesn't want to do the full triathlon, let them at it. And I realised last week that I am absolutely goosed. You're doing the full thing, are you? Mm-hmm. And what do you mean goosed? What's what's the worst element of all of this? Um, well, I swam... I tried to swim 750 metres during the week. It's 250, Tommy. Oh, it's only 200... Oh. <laughs> Oh, that's not bad. Welcome to some breaking news here, Tommy. This it's is two fifty. You all are you're all shambles. You're, Adrian Barry somehow managed to like weasel out of this by like, oh, it's too long for me, and then it was like it's only two hundred and fifty meters, and you're bobbing downstream like a cork, and you're like, ah. I couldn't swim the seven fifty. Sure? Uh, yes, Tommy. It's the sprint distance. Yes, no, no, it's the big, it's the Sunday morning beginners, the triathlon oh, at try. Ah. We are trying, trying and failing. It turns out. Okay, well that's not that's not too bad because it took me fifty five minutes to get um, forty odd landstones. So, okay, that's not too bad. We we where were you doing this? Doing in a pool. I, I didn't go into the river yet. So, um, yeah, okay, that's not too bad. How's your swimming going? Uh, swimming, I have made the the fatal error of I'm in a tiny little swimming pool. It's like eleven or twelve meters, and I keep kind of mm. using the the ends to push off. Obviously, when you're doing it real, you have none. I mentioned this to my yeah. sister at the weekend. She's like, you're supposed to swim around so you don't get the benefit. Cause uh. It's like having a little motor. It's basically like, you know, uh, famous cycling teams of the past that had illegal motors in their uh, in their in the back Click. of their thing. Yeah, where you get mm. to push off, push off, push off, push off, push off every 10, every 10 metres. It's like a little, uh, like, you know. That replicates a downstream, though. Maybe. That's the, uh, that's okay. the way to do that's it. that's fair on. Um, yeah. You're doing the swim, right? Are you doing the cycle? I'm doing the whole thing, Tommy. Oh, fantastic. You're I see you're very up to date on how this whole thing is going to work out. <laughs> oh, I thought there was like a, a mini group there that, was, that wasn't that was doing it at all. Uh, not doing like a piece each. Oh, there is a little mini group that's doing that. And their names are uh, Adrian Barry, Nathan Murphy and Brian O'Driscoll. And Brian O'Driscoll did Spice. say it was the worst team he's ever been on since the community Shocking. games where he had to like, or a, a tennis uh, tournament that he played with somebody who couldn't hit the ball one time. Are you confident on the bike? 
Uh, you're pretty confident on the bike. Yeah, I mean, I mm. did I did two cycles at the weekend. Didn't get as far as I needed to, but um, I'll be okay. I'm hopping on the bike. I'm hopping on the bike after this and trying to go for a run off the back of it. That's the key, really. It's it's getting used to running off the back of cycling. Um, that's the tricky part. It's very hard. It's very mm-hmm. very hard. It's it's more of a waddle to it's yes. An, like it's to, they're you think that they're fairly similar. It's actually swimming and cycling are are fairly similar. You should be able to merge relatively seamlessly like a, an amphibious vehicle the, like the do you Viking, have the amphibious suit actually the Viking Splash Tour <laughs> that's back as well is it yeah oh right great I thought no it was way. gone forever so did I it's great we hear screams on our streets again yeah <laughs> um, have I got the amphibious suit no I need to go shopping this week nice so Tommy you're you're worried but less worried now that I've talked you through it and also, I really thought I was in bother with that with that swim because uh, I just am quite. I, I do you know what I realise? Uh, and it happened before the pandemic when we were swimming before in Trinity and we were training. Um, I don't. I I just swim like a log lock. I don't. I'm not able to move my body like a fish the way you're supposed to, and uh, and 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 glide through the water. I go straight, and I I'm just fighting against myself. And I was worrying about that. I thought it'd be 750 meters, and whoever was doing the swim for the other team, Adrian, whoever it was, would beat me, and I I wouldn't be able to get it back. I wouldn't be able to catch up on Shane Hannon. That was my worry. I don't think you're going to be able to catch up on Shane Hannon anyway. Neither he's, do I. He's younger than you, and he's fitter than you, and he's um, yeah more explosive right. athlete at this point. Is he younger than Tommy? Yeah, very close. He's got about eight, eight months, I think. Tommy that makes a difference. Tommy started to go to 30th birthday parties. Yeah. That's, he's he's in that cycle now. It used to be communion confirmations, and now it's thirtieths and ah. and, and uh, baby showers. And and, uh, and like it was a thirtieth that was a dinner, so makes it even worse. You were you sound like a man who might have been at a thirtieth birthday party over the weekend. You do, you do, you do, you do. Yeah, you haven't no, got. The I, phone. I was actually I was recording the football pod last night until we realised that the qualifier draws was this morning, so we recorded eighty five percent of the football pod last night. And James O'Donoghue was hopping on a flight in about 35 minutes, so we're going to record part two in about 10 minutes' time. All right, well... Uh, Any word yet on that draw? No, no? We're, we're going to get it now with Cahill. Uh, how, is, how are your uh, various um, whoop metrics going, Tommy? Yeah, well, I hopped into the pool there, Jared, the other day for the first time in a while, and um, as I said, I, I got through that swim, but it took me quite a while to, to get through it. And my whoop told me afterwards that I could have been doing a bit more work or maybe that's just kind of what happens when you're in the pool um, my strain was 7.6 right. even though I was in there from half 8 to quarter past 9 um, 15 minutes at 70% of your max heart rate so you know obviously it's good for recovery I did that in between a bit of training last week with football uh, and a match so it's good for recovery uh, how are you playing are you, are you scoring uh, no not really we'll come back to that in about 8 weeks so we'll, we'll see what happens there on the down low, Tommy. Uh, yeah, next exactly. season, Claire's full forward or bust. That's it. Right. What's your training plan this week? Are you on the bike? Or are you swimming? What are you at? Yeah, yeah, I am doing everything. Yeah, I have to do it this week or never. It's this are you, week or are never. You trying, are you trying all three? I'm doing all three. Are you not tapering but this week? Tr- no. Are you trying all three back to back? You know, are you going? Oh, never. Swim? No, on the day. On okay, the day. On the never. Day. Okay. Yeah. All right. Okay. All right. Okay. Good luck. Thanks, Tommy. You too. Bye. Uh, am I tapering this week? No, but I will be tapering next weekend. Nice. What's about how are you tapering next weekend? Just by going out in the lash? I'm going to the Champions League final. Oh yeah, of course. Have you got a ticket? I got sorted. Oh, 
Look at that. Look at that smug face. Right. Sorry, it's, it's disgusting. Uh, Team OTB are taking on Triathide this June and um, some of us are very well prepared for it, as you've seen. It's all in partnership with Whoop, the personalised digital fitness and health coach that helps you unlock your inner potential. See Whoop.com for more. They have this great thing where... Um, you can keep a, a diary of what you've been doing and uh, over a period of time you can look back and see uh, there are some improvements there or in some instances no improvements so it's up to you first ties are coming out of the pot Mayo at home against Monaghan oh, Ooh, nice one yes. so these sort of these two worlds that existed in this in this draw have already collided I had like a, a, a four the four big ones Mayo, Monaghan, Tyrone, Armagh as the four, and they could possibly all have avoided each other. That's not going to happen. So one of Mayo or Monaghan's season is going to be over after the first round of qualifiers. So that's that, that's a big draw. That's the first one out. It's 8.39. Carl Milani is with us. Carl, good morning to you. You're also keeping an eye on this. Yeah, I am indeed. Uh, that's uh, quite a tie, isn't it? Yeah, uh, Claire Meath is the second team out of the hat this morning. Second draw out of the hat. Oh, who does Tommy cheer for? Who does Tommy? <laughs> we should get Tommy back on the line quick. <laughs> The Tommy Rooney Derby in Clare. Uh oh. Armagh versus Tyrone. Oh. oh, so that, what a draw this is. So we've got two, the, the most heavyweight possible qualifier draw is exactly what we've got. Those four teams will become two Armagh at home to Tyrone, Mayo at home to Monaghan, which of course leaves Westmeath versus South Limerick. Loud. Is oh, it? this is this. this yeah. Cup, aren't they? Go on. Yeah. So. Um, it is Cork versus Loud, sorry. Cork versus Loud. Uh, Cork versus Loud, and yeah. Is this, and Cork. this draw isn't made versus the so, the beaten finalists? No, that's the beaten finalists have yet draw. to be beaten, yeah. So, I, know, I know they've yet to be beaten, but as in, <laughs> we don't <laughs> We don't know. We don't know what they're, that'll be another draw. Okay. It'd be yeah. good if that draw was made now so you'd know in advance. Yeah, I guess so. Well, but then maybe, maybe unless they unless they are doing it now, but it hasn't been done yet. So the full draw is Mayo. Maybe and rest players. Go on, start again. Start again. So, me- so yeah, this is till all be played next weekend. Weekends of fourth and fifth of June. Yeah. So we have two weeks of build up for this. Yeah, yeah. including a roadshow in Monaghan. No, in Mayo. Mayo before the Monaghan game. Mayo at home to Monaghan. Clare at home to Meath. Cork at home to Louth. Armagh at home to Tyrone. <sighs> That's a. An absolute stonker of a qualifier draw to use. Brilliant. The I'm picking them now. Phrase. I'm picking Mayo. I'm picking Cork. I'm picking Clare. And the last one, I'm going to go with Geezer. So the four home teams. Yeah. Yeah. Our match runs a great game, isn't it? Oh, an That's absolute crack. Well, it's shit or bust. And it's like, it, the worst part about it is it's uh, Arma and Geezer's reputation just generally being yeah. a qualifier genius is like this isn't really a qualifier now because yeah. it's actually just an old uh, now it is straight knockout so maybe that's the thing that gets their blood up in our man. Um I yeah, don't know yeah Jim McGuinness had an interesting article in the Irish Times was it over the weekend or late last week that Tyrone should introduce a lot of the under 20s into their squad to give them a little bit of a lift whether they like I mean would Rory Canavan add something to Tyrone I think he would and so did Jim McGuinness. Yeah, he looks he looks ready. Uh, like it'd be a hell of a, a decision, though, wouldn't it? Given would, but they need a spark from somewhere. I think um, now that game might provide it. I mean, you know, there's no love lost there. Um, Cork and Loud is a good draw for both of those counties. They'll both fancy themselves. I think in that game, I think Cork should try and play that game in Parky Rin again. Definitely. I, like, is it even should be no issue there? Shouldn't no? I don't. I don't be, think yeah. so. 
not with uh, they would probably expect fewer yeah. supporters than, than would have been with the, the Kerry game even though they might try and um, get more people in like it, it feels is that the sort of fixture that could give the Cork football fraternity a bit of a boost where it's like there was an okay performance for 50 minutes and all of a sudden we've got the yeah. easiest possible draw no disrespect allowed but it is the easiest possible draw they could have got yeah um in, in, in that round so maybe that's the sort of kick that they need and all of a sudden then if they win that they're into the last round of the qualifiers where there's going to be no Monaghan or Mayo or no Armagh or Tyrone yeah. all of a sudden the path is cleared a little bit for, for those four teams Clare, Meath, Cork, Louth yeah. uh, certainly a, li- a little bit clearer than it would have been five minutes ago Yeah um, and then Mayo and Monaghan is a that's a that's a, that's a cracking tie to look forward to uh, Monaghan certainly have a point to prove like I mean they were they were beaten pretty soundly by Derry uh, in that match that they played in the Ulster Championship semi-final and then you know Mayo, there's been virtually no word out of the Mayo camp since the Galway match so it's hard to know where they're at in terms of their injuries and stuff but um, that'll be a cracker and two well-supported counties as well so that'll be, be a bumper crowd in Castlebar for that one Oh, it's going to be great mm. it's like exactly what you want from this round of the qualifiers yeah. um, I, it's, like obviously we don't know who they're all going to end up playing but there is a possibility that we do end up with um, if Mayo win that they could end up drawing Ross Common again it, mm-hmm. that, or is, the, is this it, it was only in the Talton Cup that you weren't allowed to replay well, yeah. there will be no replay if it's if it's Roscommon. Of course, of course. It's, if it's Galway, they might be they might avoid uh, repeat ties if, if Roscommon come out on top. It could be uh, if if Dublin beat Kildare in the Leinster final, you could have a Mayo Kildare showdown again four years on from Newbridge and nowhere. There's a, a couple that'd of be in Croke there though. Uh, yeah, probably. Um, they would they will definitely bring two of those fixtures to to Croke Park. You'd imagine in the, the second round of qualifiers, like I mean Derry or Donegal throwing thrown into that mix. All things, if we're predicting this, Limerick are probably going to be in that qualifier draw, uh, and then one of Galway or Roscommon as well. So the, mm. the ties get more exciting, but there's two absolutely massive fixtures there already yeah. lined up. Yeah, so you feel like the football has taken off now from this weekend with the provincial finals. Yeah, nothing's happened yet. It and feels. then, yeah, you've had a couple of blockbuster games here and there, but really now, from now on, this is the. And the blockbuster games are all largely irrelevant in the overall scheme of whether or not we're going to have a new All-Ireland champion or if whether our team's yeah. going to be legitimate All-Ireland contenders. Unless, of course, the, there was something fatal that Derry exposed in Tyrone and Armagh can apply the uh, the uh, wooden stake through the heart of the vampire that is Tyrone football. I don't know. It's going to be interesting. I, I'm not writing Tyrone off just yet given how easily and how quickly they have managed to turn things around yeah. in the past mid-season. But you just predicted Armagh would beat them, so... <laughs> <laughs> Not writing them off. I did predict a home, a home win. And yeah. It'd be interesting to see what the odds are in that one. Um, is it a 50-50 game? Are Tyrone two-point favourites? Just if even. Yeah, it is. That's it, Because of the venue, I think if Tyrone were at home, I think a lot exactly. of people would expect the, the comeback. And the venues are going to be a big thing here because they're going to be in the provincial grounds that we've spoken about where you don't want you know, twenty thousand in Crow Park or something like that, where the atmosphere exactly. is kind of dead. But like, can you imagine? This is what Proposal yeah, B would have given us. These games. Oh, no one's interested in them. No one wants to see these games. Yes, they do. These are exactly the games that everybody wants to see. Yeah. So, like, I mean, you're going to have bumper crowds that, like, you would imagine Clare and Mead are two well-supported counties to be a big Mead contingent down to Ennis, and then Porky Rin for Cork and Loud should be well. There's a good buzz about loud football despite that last kill there. So it's a bank holiday weekend as well, of course. So, like, I mean, uh, you've got. Ennis, Castlebar, Cork and Armagh as your possible destinations yeah. for your uh, three out of four away. Bad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Cork is a dump, sure. Uh, 8.46 this morning. OTBIM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. Call you were watching the golf last night. Um, yeah, I caught a bit of it. Um, ah, I mean, Rory, Rory, Rory. Um, four birdies in the first five. 
you know, he finished 500 par after his first round, and Justin Thomas finished on 500 par, and he won the title. So uh, that's where we're at. Um, just hard. What to, level hard of regret does he have? Does he feel like he had to do what he did, and that uh, that's? No, just I think he's quite. Is? A, I don't think he spoke to the media after yesterday either. So he was obviously quite Ripping. peeved um, now he had some decent birdie chances coming in as well and his putter just wasn't quite firing like he might want it to um, but again it's another missed opportunity because looking at his round on Thursday he looked close to flawless uh, hit some lovely wedge shots put it nicely was in a perfect position um, the wind got up a little bit in the next couple of days and he isn't the best wind player in the world I don't think he's quite a high ball flight um, so I think it's another one for the missed opportunity uh, category, unfortunately, for Rory. And Seamus Power is in the top 10 as well. So from an Irish point of view, it's the second major in a row that we've had two players inside the top 10. Uh, Shane Lowry is in the top 10 at the Masters alongside McElroy. So, you know, from that point of view, it's another good finish. But, I mean, the only currency that McElroy deals in now is major championship titles. And uh, he's still without one since 2014. So all things considered, uh, I think he'll think it's a missed opportunity. Yeah, so it's more negative than positive or is it actually like, look, I'm, I'm still right there for all of the stuff about yeah. my game deserting me and lack of focus and all the stuff that happened, whatever. He's like, he's still right there. Oh, he is still right I, there and I think... I definitely... I, if you're him, you're glass half full. If you're the rest of us, it's definitely glass half empty. Yeah. Um, I think his stats so far this year would suggest that his game is in pretty reasonable shape. Uh, he played well at the Wells Fargo as well. Obviously, the Masters, the final round there. And then again this week, he's in the top 10. But I mean, as I say, he only deals in titles right now. And he will take a lot from it. There's no doubt about it. But I mean, for him, there are only four real weeks in the year that he really wants to pull it off. And two of them have passed already now. And uh, he hasn't got the title that he wants in either of those. So for him, it's major championships or nothing, I think. And, like, I mean, it's not at the end of the world by any stretch of the imagination. And he'll just be disappointed that he wasn't a little bit more on it in rounds two and three, uh, whereas he produced in the first and the final round this and week. So. This is Justin Thomas' second PGA. Yeah, second PGA. And I think it probably, like, I mean, Justin Thomas has been regarded as in the top tier players for quite a few years now. And this probably does elevate him to that sort of level in that it's his second major title. Um, at the PGA obviously and he is one of the top players in the world there's no doubt about that uh, spare a thought for uh, Mito Pereira who was uh, leading on the 18th tee and uh, Mito hit it into the water on the 18th and double bogey the last to lose by a shot uh, world number 100 um, his swing on the last he, he spoke after and he was, he was perfectly honest in saying that he was really, really nervous and you could tell by a swing on the 18th where he, he carved one into the water on the right and uh, was unable to make bogey, made double and missed out by a shot. So spare a thought for him uh, this morning and obviously Will Zalatoris into the playoff as well and lost uh, by a shot. So it was an unusual format in that there was three holes for the playoff, 13, 17 and 18 I think it was and uh, Thomas Birdie two at the three to take the victory. So that's the uh, second major out of the way in the next two, the US Open and the, the British Open, the Open Championship coming quick down the tracks as well. So it's all happening. All right, what else is going on? Well, let's uh, recap on yesterday's uh, Premier League action, as you have done all morning, of course. Uh, Manchester City, the Premier League champions for the fourth time in five seasons. Two goals from substitute Ilkay Gundogan helped them come from 2-0 down to beat Aston Villa 3-2 yesterday. City finishing a point ahead of Liverpool. Liverpool beating Wolves by three goals to one yesterday. At the other end of the table, Burnley suffering relegation. They were beaten by Newcastle by two goals to one. Leeds are safe after a 2-1 win over Brentford. And Tottenham claimed the final Champions League spot. That's after they finished fourth at Arsenal's expense after a 5 
5-0 win over Norwich. In the SSE Electricity League Premier Division this evening, Sligo Rovers begin life without Liam Buckley. They take on Derry City just a day on from the departure of their manager. Leaders Shamrock Rovers are away to Drogheda United, while Finn Harps play Dundalk. And elsewhere there are two Dublin derbies. St. Pat's play host of Bohemians and UCD go up against Shelburne at Talca Park. As mentioned, Justin Thomas took victory in the second golf major of the year last night. He beat Will Zalatoris in a three-hole playoff to win the US PGA Championship at Southern Hills. Both players finished on five under par. Thomas's total of two under in the playoff was enough to take the title. Rory McIlroy in eighth on two under. Seamus Power one shot further back and Shane Lowry rather finished on two over par. In hurling yesterday, Cork progressed to the All-Ireland Series of the Hurling Championship. Their 330 to 124 win over Tipperary enough to secure third place in the Munster Championship. Waterford are out after suffering a 331 to 222 defeat to Clare in Ennis. While in football, awfully booked their place in the next round of the Talchin Cup. That was thanks to a 311 to 213 win uh, over Wexford. Let's recap that All Ireland qualifier first round draw for you: Armagh versus Tyrone, Mayo versus Monaghan, Clare versus Meath, and Cork against Louth. All of those ties to be played on the weekend of June 4th and 5th. The details of those uh, matches will be confirmed. Uh, later today. Novak Djokovic gets his French Open tournament underway later today. The world number one begins at Roland Garros against Yoshita Noshika of Japan. Before that, 13-time winner in Paris, Rafa Nadal kicks off his campaign with a game against Jordan Thompson this afternoon and in the women's singles, world number one Iga Svantec plays Lysia Cherenko and in racing, there's an evening card underway at Roscommon later. The first of seven goals to post there at half past four. Carl, good stuff. Thanks very much for that. That's Carl Milani. You can uh, hear more from Carl, of course, today, of course, uh, on the Go Loud network of stations and on otbsports.com. It's 8.52. Time for us to turn our attention to the weekend's hurling, and I'm delighted to say Aidan Taggy Fogarty is with us. Aidan, good morning to you. How are you? Morning, guys. How are you? A very interesting weekend of hurling results. Uh, Many teams in crisis. Some teams who we thought were in crisis suddenly wriggle off the, the crisis hook um, looking at you Wexford and Cork let's start though with um, what we're all looking forward to now most over the next couple of weeks is a two week build up to the next handshake between Henry Shefflin and Brian Cody you couldn't have scripted it or you could and we all would have lapped it up yeah absolutely yeah it was um, it was a strange weekend with Harlan RH yeah geez, a lot of teams there but thought at the beginning of the year were, were contenders for the Ireland uh, just just went out with a flop, but um, two weeks time, Kilkenny and Galway, yeah, in, in uh, Croke Park, um, it's going to be very interesting. I think the media and everyone else will be building up the handshake. Um, as I said before, I wonder will even show the game. Will it just be the handshake for seventy minutes? Uh, it'll it'll be it'll be very interesting uh, to see what the what the story is. But it's going to be a t- total different game. Obviously, Galway pipped us in Salt Hill. Uh, a couple of weeks ago and uh, that'll be a bit of a driving force for this Kilkenny team and um, they they won't like that and it will uh, you know it, it'll drive them on a, li- a little bit um, with Kilkenny it's hard to know like the weekend it's really week on week with this Kilkenny team they annihilated Dublin uh, they played a direct ball which they didn't get really much um, uh, Dublin didn't really put them up to them at all there um, at the back Ankle Kenny uh, just drove right through him. But Wexford, in fairness to him, came out Saturday night, uh, dropped back O'Keefe, uh, played more of a kind of a defensive system, like they're kind of used to before. You know, lads were giving out about Davy, about how they set up, but maybe that's the way Wexford have to play, you know, uh, attack from deep and, and drop back. And 
to Kenny just for sixes and sevens I felt and they went back to what we discussed before about just lumping ball into the full forward line and uh, not get much result from it but in two weeks time Gerard I think the whole thing is it's going to be a totally different game you know this championship is just so much on momentum and gaining new players and players coming into form and the mentality of week on week games the psychology of coming off a big massive results one weekend going into maybe a lesser game the weekend after how do you approach it there's so many things going on behind the scenes in around robin it's it's just so hard to call week on week so you're not reading too much into kilkenny's performance um look i don't want to be kind of turning sideways and saying look it's not a big deal it is a big deal um and the things that came up again was the lack of midfield um the lack of forward play, like our best forward was nearly Keen Kenny, and he he's he's just a young lad. He's twenty years of age, which is great to see from a Kilkenny's perspective. But you need more out of maybe the own Cody's. You know, TJ Reid was in and out of it. Uh, Billy Ryan came on. You know, it's the old failings, and it's kind of if Kilkenny don't dominate the game physically and don't win the battle. I suppose like all games, if you don't dominate the games, um, you know, in the intense battle, uh, the hard work, the fight. You're not going to win it. And Kenny, when they don't do that, they don't win. At the minute, when they do it, they're only winning by three or four points. So when they don't, they're going to be beaten. And that's what I'd be kind of worried about. And Park Welch only coming on. I don't understand Park Welch only coming on. Maybe he was injured. There's rumours he was. But if, if my eyes, if you're injured, you're not there. You're, you're not playing. So if you come on, you're not injured. And he came on with only three minutes to go. You know, Walter Welch was started and John Donnelly. There's, he hasn't got a settled team. And that's what I'm worried about. Is that because they knew they were already through? Do we need to sometimes bear that in mind that the psychology of a match where you're going out to physically try and impose yourself on an opponent, it's great if you really have something to play for, but if you've got not that much to play for, you can't just get up to the emotional pitch that you need to get to. Yeah, uh, absolutely, Jerry. Yeah, um, there's two things on that from my view. I think they they really, really went for Dublin in in Parnell Park because that was a massive, massive game in my eyes. Um, if they lost that game, they were going into Wex or into Nolan Park where they, where they had to win against Wexford. So I think coming out of Dublin, they threw everything at Dublin and they were coming off a bit of a high, giving a bit of a trimming. And then they, to Kenny's perspective, they were looking at a Wexford side who drew to Westmead. No uh, disrespect to Westmead. Westmead are actually doing very well in this championship after having a great campaign um, and are actually a very good team. And after driving a lot of the, the, the top teams uh, close close to the to the end. But Kenny were looking at it, probably saying Wexford are after dropping a bit. Um, you know, drawing with Westmead, coming into the Lions then, Nolan Park, we should be winning this one. And then from a Wexford perspective, they were coming off the back of they should be beating Westmead. Now they have to win in Nolan Park. So I think the psychology of both teams were at total different spectrums. And Kilkenny were saying, right, we should win it. And Wexford were saying, right, we have to win it. And if you look at Wexford lately, they do not fear coming to Nolan Park whatsoever. They don't fear Kilkenny anymore as much as they did. They have been beating them underage. So they were well up for this game. And, you know, listen to Davy Fitz even last night there. He was saying that, these boys don't fear Kilkenny at all and, and they would have um, they, they would have expect, expected to be Kilkenny even at, at times so psychology of games different weekends that's what I talked about beforehand it's hard to balance it I think last weekend as well we wrote off the league entirely we said if you look at Leinster you look at Munster the league just does not matter whatsoever and one of those storylines was Wexford after the draw with West Meath so all of a sudden are we looking at some of the things that happened to Wexford in the league on a positive 
level and saying, okay, those storylines are absolutely maintaining it their way through the championship now and Wexford absolutely have a chance of, of, of going maybe to, to an All-Ireland semi-final at least here. Yeah, as I said, Wexford are a bit of a conundrum. I, I, to be honest, I couldn't see him going to a semi-final. Mm. I think Wexford are a type of a team that if they get all their balls in place and if they get the right team and if they get a bit of luck on the day and every one of them play really well and they get their strategy good, that they can beat any team on their day. But I think consistently, they're not good enough to, we- to win week on week. They just haven't got the players. And I-, I don't know if they have the actual kind of mentality to, to kind of put it up to the team week on week. Physically, I think they're not up to it. But in saying that, they could beat any team on their day. But they fancy themselves against a Clare team coming off a beating from Limerick. Would they fancy themselves against a Limerick team coming off a beating from Clare? I'm not sure. I'm not sure. No, I, I-, I wouldn't think so. Um as I said, I think they're very lucky to get through. I think they know themselves they're very lucky to get through. Um, they'll be probably playing a, a Joe McDonough team now, which which will probably suit them. They'll get, they'll get a bit of momentum there. But I just don't think it's, it's in them to, to get past the, the bigger teams. Like there's, re, there's teams in the championship now, Ger, and they're really beginning to get momentum. Like If you look at the Munster Championship and the Leinster Championship, the three teams coming out of Munster will be very, very happy the way they've come out of it. Like If you look at a Cork, they've really, really changed their whole season around. And if anything, all the negative talk and all the kind of chat beforehand about how Cork are going, they, they, that's after uni, unifying this Cork team, I feel. And yes, they've absolutely made changes. They've, they've changed their game plan. And they're gone more direct. And we've always talked about Cork being a summer team. And if you look at the way the championship is, realistically, it's only kind of coming into summer now, even though the championship is nearly halfway over. But it's the 23rd of May. But the ground is going to harden up. It's going to be a summer atmosphere and that's where Cork really relish. And then if you look at Clare, they've just come out of the blue. Like who would have said a Clare would have topped the, topped the group and in a Munster final? And they made six changes the weekend. Um, obviously, Lohan um, took the game uh, very importantly because the Munster final at stake. But still, he said to his players that there's places up for grabs. They didn't drop at intensity whatsoever. So they're in a great position. And then if you look at Limerick, um, they've, they're unbeaten. Uh, there were out players like Galan at stages. There were out Kyle Hayes, uh, Keen Lynch, but they're still unbeaten and they're still in a Munster final, you know. And from a Leinster point of view, if you look at them teams, Kilkenny they're, they're hitting Mesa Smallish. Galway are kind of stumbling over teams, but still winning. And and Wexford barely, barely got through. So I think on, on a Leinster point of view, the teams would be kind of maybe wor- a small bit more worried about th- their form. But in saying that, one game could just change the whole thing. Those concerns that you have on Wexford in particular about the physicality and the mentality in those big games, did, did Saturday not change that at all in your view? The fact that like Lee Chin had one of his best games in a while for, for Wexford. It's starting as well. Yeah, that, that's, that's a huge addition and they needed to win. Like, did this, like You say Kilkenny had nothing to play for. Like, there was, there was a, a permutation that Kilkenny could have got eliminated from Leinster so it wasn't like they were completely up against a, a lame duck at the weekend is, is, is there nothing that you saw on Saturday that, that would made, make you question just the, those questions you would have had around that, that Wexford mentality Oh no absolutely yeah and, and it, Kilkenny I didn't mean to say that Kilkenny had nothing to play for Kilkenny absolutely had something to play for um, you know uh, Wexford were coming, first of all were coming to Nolan Park which I know for a fact Cody would have talked about it and said this is the Lions Den no one buddies is on her own patch. All them statements would have been made in the dressing room and they still, and they still beat Kilkenny. Um, but what I'm saying about Wexford is, yes, on their day, that when they're playing the bigger teams, 
they can absolutely build momentum and get up to that tier. But I think to get up for one for, to, to up for one victory and beat them, that's nearly sufficient for Wexford. And I don't think they have the the, the players or or even look the physicality or the mentality to go on and win a semi final. Because if you have to think of the other teams as well. They'll be building, building and building and they'll be coming with the same mentality. It's coming to knockout stages now and as we've seen, teams with their backs against the wall tend to kind of play better. There's more of a fight in them, there's more of an intensity to them. So I think whoever Wexford are going to play next will be coming in the same boat as, say, Wexford will be as well. So you'll have, say, the McDonough teams, you'll have maybe the Munster teams. Everyone now is going to be building momentum. Everyone's back is against the walls. It's do or die now at this stage nearly in the championship and I think Wexford won't be getting up to the same level as the other teams. Let's talk a little bit about what happened to Waterford. What did happen? What, what's your instinct about what's gone on there over the last six, six, eight weeks? Is it since we were like, oh, this guy's yeah. potential manager of the year material. Everything's going great. They've, they've got the club monkey off their back. They've got a national title. They've got the deepest panel we've ever seen them have. It's, it's phenomenal. Um, I, I I really don't know what's after happening in Watford, and it's 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 massive. It's it, it really like if you look at Tipperary, right? They have from one um, a match in the championship, but they've lost so many players. They had a new management in place. Um, you know, they they have new lads on the block that have to make their names yet. But as you said, Gerard, with, with with Watford, they had everything in place. They had a manager of Liam Cal, really good manager. We talked about him three years on the run. The only thing I can I can probably see, and now you'd love to know what's inside the camp about you know what's going on. You'd imagine it was happy after the league final, even the way he took the cup in the league final, he was kind of saying, yeah, better things down the line. We we're expecting it, and it never came to fruition. And I just think, were they overtrained? Um, did they peak too soon um, with the, with the new structure in, in the year? Um, there's a lot of injuries. You know, De Burke went off uh, early with a kind of muscle injury. Jamie Barron went off injured uh, with, with a muscle injury. Um, just it just looked like they peaked too soon, and I think with Watford as well, um, they had no consistency in the picking of their team. So their team has been changed around an awful lot. And you know, the Burke went back full back, Austin Cleese centre back, Jamie Barron corner forward, Stephen Bennett totally went out of the, went out of the scene altogether. You know, it's it's just so hard to put your finger on it because it was just going so so well. So like, were they overtrained? Did they peak too soon? Did they? Did they, did they think they were a team that were kind of did they get ahead of themselves you know, were, were they humble enough to take victory and knowing what's coming down with the, down the blocks but they really just looked disjointed we talked about a panel you'd wonder about the iron fist and the way it's managed and Liam Cal we tend to know does manage with kind of an iron fist and look it's his way or, or the highway and rightly so he is the manager but players have to buy into that as well and players maybe not starting yeah, it's fine when you're winning and things like that. But then there's rumblings kind of... Well, let me, let me, let me specifically ask you about those because a big deal was made in the aftermath about the team being leaked. Like, mm. teams... I don't know if, if teams being leaked is a big deal or not. A team goes in the middle of the week for publication in the match programme and players get informed. They tell their family. They tell people close to them. I'd say most counties most teams most weeks somebody somewhere knows the team uh, is it that big a deal like if if they'd won that game yesterday would we be talking about this or is it actually sacrosanct you tell nobody and it's a real sign that something has been breached what's your what's your take on that 
Yeah, my take on it, lads, would be to be something in it. Um, I do think there's something in it. I think, yeah, teams get out, uh, different teams get out. But uh, I, I just suppose, I just remember back in my day, I would have never told the team. Um, I would have never heard the team back from somebody else. Um, so I think there is something in it. And I think th- the big thing about that, telling the team is not a big deal. It, it, it's it's breaking the dressing room code, I suppose. That, that That's what you're really talking about. And the spirit in the dressing room. And... I think there there is something in it, and I think letting the team out, yeah, teams get out, but I think it's more so, so it's kind of a core thing. Now, that wouldn't have been said in the dressing room, but it's easy to say it after the game that team is leaked, and I think it's John Milan was saying it, but like, I think there is something in it, and I wonder what else was leaked maybe during the week, or what was said, or, or, or what wasn't been said, but as I said, it's easy to say it now when, when they're after being losing, yeah. do you know that kind of way? Yeah. Um, Okay, that's interesting that there, you think there is something in it. Then the, the other I, thing, I think there is. The other thing that I was like, I, I, I think Liam Cahill's going to end up being a great manager and it, mm. it, it might not be with this group of players. I do feel like sometimes you can try and fix something that's gone wrong, but this isn't football, they're not professionals. And when, when something like this happens, if you go back one, one last year, it can frequently be a lost year where you're trying loads of different things, you're making accommodations, you're going against your own instinct, that actually the best thing for him might be to step away and say, I'm going to have to learn from this experience, whatever it was that went wrong, but I'm not going to be able to do it with these players. I don't know, again, what your instinct is and whether or not he should have one more crack at it and try and fix what happened, or if that's actually just spending good money after bad. Yeah, my my initial gut is telling me it's probably time to step away, um, because I just think he had everything in place, and I just think it was it was set up for him. Now it's easy me saying that, and I think Liam Cal would be a great manager, but it's also a big learning curve uh, for Liam. This is um, his first real inter county um, senior team. Yeah, he's done really good underage. Uh, he's done really good with Tipperary underage, but this is a different level and. I suppose it, it's massive. It's massive to learn. You really you need to know what's been happening in the camp, how training has been going, what the vibe in training has been, what the body language in training. And um, I think the Cork game last weekend really took the wind out of their sail. Um, that was a must win uh, for both teams, and they went to Walsh Park and, and Cork annihilated them. And I think that really, really was a sucker punch of where do we go from here? They had seven days to recover. Um, you know, mentality-wise, we talked about already, psychology-wise, coming down off a game like that, building yourself back up. And when there's doubts in your team, it just it, it just sets the tone for, for the whole panel. And then maybe, as we talked about, the, the physical side of it, being overtrained and, and maybe a bit of tiredness, it all accumulates. And that's how management is just so such a fine line. And it's, it's a learning curve for Liam. As I said, there'll be a lot of people talking this morning about where did it go wrong. We have all the experts... And it's just so hard to put your finger on it. But really, you have to be in the dressing room and you have to get the vibe. There's a vibe in the air in dressing rooms that you can just pick up on. And I'd love to know what the vibe was all week. If Waterford want to learn from the mistakes of this year, is Liam Cahill not the best man to help them learn from those mistakes next season, given he would have been partly responsible for them? Yeah, possibly, yeah. Um, I suppose I did kind of say maybe this time time to walk away, but he's, he's there three, year, three years but, yeah, in saying that, maybe he'll see the, 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 the mistakes that they did make and things that they need to work on. I'd love to see Watford in the league next year, uh, you know, how importantly Lose they, every they game. take it. They, they, you know, they, they take it. This mm. is it. And about resting, they talk about a panel. 
But maybe they like to tie the burka and, um, you know, Jamie Barr and Gleason, these lads, maybe they just need a bit of a break. They're going to get a break now. They're going to get a six-month break uh, till January, literally. Um, I know they're back in November and stuff, but, you know, do, do they just need a rest and a break? And maybe, yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe Liam is the man to come back and just make one more crack at it and learn from his lessons and, and take on next year. But there'll be an awful lot of pressure on Watford next year and Liam Cannon next year. And do Watford deal that well with pressure? I'm, I'm not so sure. But another management could... To destroy the whole thing again. The other factor in all of this is the potential of external forces here, which weren't strong enough to lure Liam Cahill away to Tipperary last year. Like, are the Tip County board monitoring the situation and see the value in Liam Cahill and see the age profile of their current team and think now could be the time to, to try and strike while the iron is hot? Or, or do they trust Bonner to kind of take them into, into next year themselves and, and continue their path from, from, from this low base they're at? Yeah, I, th- I think they'll have to trust Bonner, really. Um, you know, there was talks about Liam Cahill going in last year and the county board beat them and stuff, and, and Liam going to um, to Waterford. So that was probably a statement from Liam in itself. Now, I can see Liam, obviously, um, training temporary at some stage. Um, but I think it's it's up to Bonner. Bonner took on the mantle. Um, he's at the blood in a, a, a lot of players. And I, th- I think, for me, uh, they should stick with Bonner. Rather than just, like, to be fierce unfair to get rid of Bonner just after one year, um, you know, in, in the championship, or he didn't even win a match. So he'll want another cracker as well. And, you know, how how, how does the county board take Liam Cal not taking the Tipperary job? Like, it's a massive opportunity. It was um, your own county, and he still went with Watford. So would he be too keen to ask Liam back? Uh, maybe not. I'm not too sure. Uh, and the flip side of it is Liam has trained a lot of these players that are coming into the tip team now they've trained a minor he trained them under 31 so he knows these guys so would he be the best man but for me I believe in Bonner there absolutely uh, Can I just ask then on, on Cork if you were a Cork player a member of the Cork management right now would you be more confident of, of them winning in All-Ireland this year than last year granted they were in the final last year but, but got annihilated does it feel that they've made that step forward over the last two weeks alone <laughs> It's mad isn't it Yeah it, it, it is crazy you know like two weeks I, I actually had written down there I think a few weeks ago that um, the best players weren't getting on the ball they were too slow they weren't direct enough they weren't scoring goals and all of a sudden in two weeks the whole thing has just changed like it's not as if I gave the sheet to Kingston right now and he looked at it and said oh I made the change on these but it, it, it is amazing and I do think they're in a better position uh, team wise because of all the controversy at the beginning of the year um, Tipperary in 2010 uh, got annihilated by Cork in, in a Munster semi-final, I think it was. And there were talks about that they were finished, that they were done, and they went on and won the, the Ireland, beating ourselves uh, for the five in a row that year and um, turned out to be a phenomenal phenomenal team. So I think the biggest thing for Cork this year was all the negative talk, all the way they're playing is not is not the way they play, and they're not good enough. I think that will um, set a bit of steel in them, set a bit of fight in them. And, you know, it's nearly Cork against the rest of the country now, you know, and I know that feeling, you know. Um, and they're really, after changing their game, they, they did, they're, they're gone direct, they're getting goals, they have they have an out ball now in, in Connolly there, um, you know, and the ground is going to be hardening and they're going to be getting into bigger pitches. And I think with that, with the momentum and everything else that's gone behind the scenes, I think they'll really be really hard team to beat now, all of a sudden. And the schedule's pretty good for them. You can see how they could easily build in over the next while, whereas actually being in a Munster final and losing that game, not great for the morale and the confidence. Or else Antrim will just beat them. Yeah, <laughs> imagine that. Yeah, imagine that. But Very 2022. No, I, I, I think it's great. I think the Munster final, I don't think Cork, like, when the Munster final is great, but I don't think that's their ambition. And I think they'll have a great run in uh, meeting uh, one of the, the Joe Madonna teams, get more momentum uh, and, and be flying. 
come a quarter final stage. Owen is uh, yarrowing the Joe McDonough final but there. I think the draw. No, I think the draw has been done. All because right, so we already know. I, I think it's going to be Kerry Wexford and Antrim Cork, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and then obviously if uh, Kerry win the McDonough Cup, so you don't get a reward for winning the. I think because it's it's a monster versus a Leinster team. Technically, Antrim okay. being a Leinster team, it's got to be. I think that's it. I'm ninety percent sure. It's just like the Nations League. It's very obvious. Uh, Taggy, good stuff. Thanks a million. Thanks, guys. Aidan Taggy forwardly giving us his thoughts this morning on uh, wild weekend in the hurling in some ways, and also it was good that they managed to get everything done dusted in the first fifteen minutes, so that you could just yeah. look over and watch the football. Yeah, that was it. So you, you like, hang on, dual screen on the football. Then uh, hang on, what this game's over. Once the penalty was saved and the goal went in the other end, you're like, okay, Grant, game over. Yeah, like it does. It, it, there was such uh, possibilities for drama at the weekend, and Galway being way too good for Dublin really eradicated any real drama on Saturday night because there were nine points apiece at one stage. Well into the first half, you were kind of seeing it on the bottom of the screen on Sky Sports, and you thought, wow, Kilkenny could be going out here, which would have been sensational if Dublin managed to kick on. And then yesterday was just a non-event, but it does get you really, really excited for what's about to come this summer. All right, calling all cycling enthusiasts and sports fans, Skoda are the official main partner of the Tour de France, and to celebrate on OTB Sports, we have literally a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. This amazing prize is a VIP trip to stage 13 of the Tour de France from the 14th to the 16th of July. So you get flights and accommodation for one winner plus a partner. All you need to do for a chance to win is to be available to travel from the 14th to the 16th of July and let us know who the famous cyclist is. Gary, what are you? Are you a complete rookie? What are you talking about? Tweet us at Off the Ball for your answer. Each daily winner wins a hundred euro one for all voucher and a Skoda cycling jersey, and you'll go into the draw for the grand prize. Best of luck. Skoda drivers, for another chance to win, check out skodaservice.ie. OTB AM on OTB Sports Radio, Ireland's first and only sports radio station. Newspapers have called it the greatest club game ever. Munster legends Alan Quillen and Neil Briggs are joining forces to bring you all the latest analysis, news, interviews and so much more. The strength of Munster rugby has always been the big boys up front. There's a lot of pressure on these guys continuously. I'm actually really, really excited for it. The Red 78 with Alan Quinlan and Neil Briggs. Available every Wednesday. Don't miss a moment of action. Subscribe to the Rugby Channel on the OTB Sports app and turn on your notifications now. This is Sport Ireland Campus. And here is where it all starts. From the little ones learning to the high-performance athletes leading. Here we go to play, to practice, to progress... Here is where communities in the nation come together to compete, to win, and to belong. Here we go to the next level, then on to the world stage. This is Sport Ireland Campus, and here we go. Visit sportirelandcampus.ie to be a part of it. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar. 19 minutes past nine. We're turning to rugby in a moment. First, here's what's on OTB Sports Radio today. If you want to hear this, by the way, just tell your smart speaker to play OTB Sports Radio, or you can get it just by clicking the radio tab on the OTB Sports app. At one o'clock, OTB Gold is Colm Gooch Cooper and the Art of Corner Forward play. Splunk Sport at three. Culture Hall of Fame is Lenny Abramson, uh, giving us a recommendation at four. OTB Gold is Joe Malloy meeting Gerald Lochnan, and the show is live tonight with Joe. Looking back at the weekend and looking forward to the rest of the week as well. You can follow us across all our social platforms and make sure you hit subscribe to our YouTube channel as well. Uh, 20 past nine, though, let's turn to rugby. Alan Quillen is with us. Alan, good morning to you. Morning, lads. How are you? Um, that was an interesting encounter between Leinster and Munster because Leinster, really, not that much to play for. Um, picked a team that was 
largely made up of those players who they'd sent to South Africa, which was the second string. And they were still better than a largely first choice Munster team. Like, in in the long series of Leinster-Munster defeats in recent seasons, this one's surely the worst. Yeah, it is. It is the worst, I think, because of uh, because of the players in the field. Um, I know Munster were missing um, a number of players as well, which do make a difference to them. Uh, we've seen a little bit of a positive turn in, in, in the last kind of two months in the way they've been playing. And the biggest worry and concern, I said it last week for this this Munster group, was that um, if Leinster were to beat them, um, the steps they'd taken forward in the last few weeks would put them back in reverse and you know bring up some of uh, the negative narrative that's kind of been uh, associated with this team and particularly the playing style. I tell you, Jerry, I'm always on. I'm all. I always talk about stats and I, I I look at the stats of all games and. Stats sometimes can be misleading because rugby of all games is you can have 30-40% possession and, and score in crucial moments and just you can manage the game if you're strong defensively and you're accurate and you're sensible in where you play the game. You can still win. So they can be a bit misleading at times. The stats from this game tell, tell us one story. You know, Leinster have 41% possession. So Munster dominated uh, possession of the ball. It's 61% territory monster, so they were in the right areas. But the stats tell, would tell me and indicate to me that Munster are a poorly coached side who are not accurate, uh, not clinically with the ball. Uh, they're not, they, they, they just don't have that ability to kind of strike and get crucial scores at the right time. And that's exactly what this Leinster team the other night did. So, it tells me also that, you know, from the opportunities they created, um, very, very clinical, very comfortable in the way they play. Um, it looks, e- it's easy on the eye. It isn't uh, flamboyant where you're, they're throwing the ball over and back just for the sake of it. They're very, very accurate. They're timing a pass. The lines are running. And Munster are, are behind, way behind in, that, in those stakes, unfortunately, because they're not comfortable and used to playing at that level. And you, you mentioned there, Leinster had nothing to play for. Well, regarding the league table, they had nothing to play for. But when you have a group of players who were desperate to to get up a level and play on the on the top team and play in Europe for Leinster, um, players departing, finishing up, Devon Toner, Sean Cronin, um, they had a fair bit of more. And then you're playing against your biggest rivals. So they had huge motivation. And, and Munster were the team who looked not to have any emotion. They had no emotion and drive, whether they're tired or fatigued, but their accuracy was was dreadful. And um, yeah, it was up there. With, it's probably the worst worst defeat. That's the, the eighth league loss in a row. And that's the reality that you can't hide away from. Yeah, Munster were beaten by a team half full of football manager regens. Like you hadn't heard of half the, the players for Leinster before. Did well, I tell you, on, I, I was at an event before the game and I asked somebody, who's Rob Russell? There was a lot of Leinster fans there and they were, uh, you know, it was a bit of banter, a bit of crack. And, and um, I asked someone to name the team and in, in all their knowledge, they weren't able to name the team. They were kind of shying away. They were afraid I was going to ask them to... to to stand up and I asked one one person who's Rob Russell and I think one person in the room was there and, and that's no disrespect to Rob Russell he's he's um, he uh, very very talented rugby player Cormac Foley 
um, he was brilliant for him as well. And um, I think a lot of them just stepped up and, and we're going to see a lot more of those young Leinster players. And I think for the young Munster players, the ones that we kind of spoke up in the last few weeks, um, they just didn't perform. And this is the big stage. And sometimes Munster fans have been frustrated with me over the years for kind of um, maybe being in perceived being overcritical, but you've got to do it in the, the, the big games. And, you know, when it comes to Irish selection and everything, the, the Leinster-Munster game was the one that was kind of like, with respect to the other provinces, it was the final Irish trial. And unfortunately, some of the Munster players have done more damage to themselves now. Um, and the Leinster players have enhanced themselves. When you say Munster are a poorly coached team, how does that manifest itself in particular on Saturday night? Is it, is it skills execution? Is it, is it just the, the, these one-out runners, the consistency of that, which I guess illustrates a lack of a game plan or a lack of an inventive game plan? Well, it would suggest this to me, on because from what I can see, and maybe I'm wrong, maybe someone can come on the show and tell me I'm wrong. Um, when you have a lot of possession and you look like you're going over and back, there seems to be a lot of confusion. And they were under a lot of pressure when they had the ball because Leinster's line speed was incredibly aggressive. And and I talk about the emotion. They looked like a team who were playing for their lives and where Leinster, Munster didn't. Um, so, Munster, how many passes went to ground? Even when Conor Murray was passing, um, you can blame Conor Murray for the accuracy to pass, or you can blame the player's shape in attack that they're standing too flat, they're not running onto the ball, they're not giving him options. Um, so many times, Munster were going infield with with attack, then they'd bounce back to the blind side where a load of defenders were. They were going one way, back the other way, one way, back the other way, so many times. And I, I just, I. I wasn't working at the game. I brought my son to the game and some of his friends. So I was in a pretty relaxed kind of state watching it. And I was just kind of, you know, sometimes when you're on commentary, you're more engrossed on the ball. So I was kind of watching the different shape of, of Munster's attack at times. And it was just pretty flat. Um, their lines are running. They were getting each other's way. Their, their realignment was poor at times. Now, to be fair to them, in the last number of weeks, it's been so much better. But when you come up against a team like they did on Saturday night are incredibly aggressive and not giving them any time on the ball, um, I think when you're not used to doing something and you don't have this template in attack and a structure and a kind of set rules about your shape, um, you come unstuck. So the big picture here is is not as bad as as the here and now, if that makes sense. So I think they can only get better. I do think there's a lot of good players there. But Leinster are kind of the standard setters, really, in, in the attack. And you look at the way they're coached. On the flip side, look at the way they ran, the lines they ran, the way they executed their catch-pass situation. A lot of simple stuff, and it's not over, overly complicated. So it would suggest to me that the attack coach from Munster then hasn't done his job. So they just look at sea and at odds at times when they're trying to attack. In fairness to them, the effort level is there. The commitment, they're trying to attack, even at the end when they were going for the bonus point, they were just going lateral, lateral, over and back, over and back. Um, and so you you would have to say they're badly coached in attack. And they need to, they can get better at that. So for, for anyone who's thinking this is, I, I just think it highlights what needs to happen going forward, that 
Um, and you look at what Stuart Lancaster has done in Leinster, the standards they've set and the way they they just uh, can make so many changes. And there's, there's, there's a real template or a game plan that players just seamlessly transition into. So that's where where Munster need to get to or at least try and get to because they need to improve that whole shape in transition after a number of phases um, and, and and that 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 was probably the most disappointing part obviously conceding a, a, penal, a, a penalty try from a mall a couple of times in the first half Munster had malls seven, eight yards out um, one in particular where Leinster got in and, and slapped the ball to the ground and it was given as a scrum um, just, just not clinical enough in, in in crucial areas, and you can't just go out and say, "Well, to play the way they've played," um, and suddenly every pass stick. And I think you know, against Toulouse, against Exeter, against Ulster, they showed moments that they're trying to attack, and they are they have tried to change in the last couple of months, but it's too soon, really, for 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 those crucial moments just to stick and, and to happen, and. You know, that's what Leinster did the other night. They punished him at certain times. And uh, just look at the Cormac, Cormac Foley try. Um, the line that, that Kieran Frawley runs off Jamie Osborne, just short little line, so accurate. It's on the money, clean through, one pass try. Um, it's brilliant. And they scored brilliant tries the other night, you know, where Munster's tries, the Jack O'Donoghue try at the start, um, that was a brilliant try in fairness. They're close to the line. But the others then are Mike Haley picking go under the post. Um, very, very intelligent out of him. And, and Conor Murray's one is from an up and under. Where else did they look like they were going to cut Leinster open? They didn't really. And they had a lot of possession. They had only clean, three clean line breaks. Leinster had seven. And again, Munster missed 25 tackles, which is... It's very hard to win a game when you miss 25 tackles. So, of course, there's worries and concerns. But I think the bigger picture... Um, regarding the, the structure game plan and what Munster need to do and there's no guarantee it'll work No, there's a lot on Mike Prendergast's shoulders there where it's like you know he's going to come in and fix this but it has to be an attitude thing like I, I know you know we're, we're laying this at coaching but there's also the missed tackles is an attitude thing like the players have to shoulder some of the responsibility here too surely Absolutely of course of course Listen Ger you know uh, and you probably remembered well. I, I got lambasted in 2016 when I when I criticised the structure and and called for change within the organisation. Um, but you know, it's a business really, and and they got to find ways of getting better. And that's what I meant at the time. That things need to be looked at. And you know, a lot of what Leinster are doing is 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 wor- it, it is working, and they're producing players, and they have some advantages around numbers in the school system and all that but if the other provinces want to catch up and close that gap and people always talk about the gap between particularly when I, they ask me Leinster Munster the gap the gap is bigger because there's probably 40 of those Leinster players are on the same page and, and the Munster players are not okay it comes down to some quality as well and Munster are deficient in certain areas and they need to improve there but if you put the best Munster team on the field with no injuries, and you have the likes of Ty Byrne and R.G. Snyman and Coombs and Dave Kilcoyne back, and Andrew Conway fit, um, et cetera, et cetera, they're still, they still need a better structure in attack. And that's tries win matches, you know, uh, good decisions on a rugby field, being comfortable with making good those decisions. And the top-end players do that. And 
unfortunately, Munster, you know, I think uh, they, they, they're exhausting sometimes to watch because, they, and it must be exhausting for the players themselves. Of course, they've got to take responsibility, but I think it can get better. Okay. And you have to give credit to Leinster. They were, they were fantastic and they're, they're humming on all fronts at the moment. Okay, so the, the quarterfinals are, are uh, complete that weekend of the June 4th Bank Holiday weekend. It's Leinster, Glasgow, Bull Sharks, Stormers, Edinburgh and Ulster at home to Munster. And that's there now on the same side of the draw. Um, I think I think the draw, yeah, they should be on the same side as um, the Stormers in Edinburgh. So, it's not beyond the band's possibility that Munster can rescue this. However, you would definitely make Ulster favourites at home in Ravenhill on the basis of what we've seen recently. Yeah, well, Mun- Munster, if they were to win in Belfast, they're away in the road, then again, the semi-finals. So it's their own doing. And if you, lo- if you lose seven league games, um, it's hard to justify. Of course, it can happen. Um, you know, and the frustrating thing is they'll probably get way up for this game again and probably put in a really good performance in Belfast. It's it's winnable. Um, I don't think Dan McFarland would have, if you give him a choice, he would have preferred someone else coming to the Kingspan. But um, yeah, it, it's 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 it could have been the Bulls at home if they got two losing bonus points. But um, it's not all doom and gloom, and I, and I want to kind of stress that again. You know, this is not a surprise, Jerk. This, this is not a surprise. Saturday night was a surprise, but it's not a surprise that the season potentially could peter out with negative performances, negative results. As I said, if, if you're not comfortable with doing something and kind of uh, performing at a certain level in, in attack, it's hard to kind of just change that and for it to happen in, in the space of a couple of months. So, um, yeah, they can go to Belfast, of course. Um, the last time they won there a number of weeks ago, they played very well. They controlled the game. Uh, physically, they were very good. And they were probably, um, you know, Lent- Ulster won't. You know, they can, they're very, very dangerous, I think. Uh, and they showed that in their performance. Um, the, the worrying part for Dan McFarland is how porous they were at times with some of the Sharks' tries the other night and the way they came back into the game. The difference uh, the next time they play, if he's fit, is Dwayne Bermuda. I think he didn't play that game a number of weeks ago, and he's been kind of a a really important presence for Ulster this season. Um, okay, uh, good weekend. Other than that, though, for your Tipperary hurlers and, and Liverpool. Oh, Jesus Christ! I was afraid you were going to say that, Joe. Yeah, disaster. Got a little bit of. Uh, a taste just of what was happening in the Premiership. Jesus, when 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 Villa were two up, um, I was then focused on Liverpool trying to score, but no, not no good. And not a surprise really. At least at least they won in the end. It'd be worse if City lost or drew, and and Liverpool didn't win. But um, yeah, Tip worrying worrying uh, worrying time for Tip as well. They were they were well beaten yesterday by by Cork. So uh, not a great weekend. But you have weekends like that. Um, Sometimes you have the Carlsberg weekends, you know, so it uh, wasn't a good one, no. 100%. Alan, we let you go. Thanks a million. Cheers. Cheers, lads. Thanks. It's uh, Alan Quillen giving us some uh, thoughts on the situation with Munster. Was it the worst, is it? Yeah, it probably is in in isolation. It probably, it probably feels a bit more raw, given it's only 48 hours ago, but it's also the, the nature of the team that Leinster put out that, that really kind of uh, opens up a chasm here. And also the real concern that is there... A mental block with Munster at the moment when it comes to Leinster that regardless of all the quality that Leinster have Munster just have 
Um, there's a team, bit of a hoodoo going on here. Yeah, well, when the teams were named, Munster were favourites to win the game. Like, you did expect it. Uh, look, let's let's wait and see what Munster are like when they have Simon in the team and if that's this transformative Simon and... Keep saying the, that, though. ...the new backroom team. And the other thing is that, like, it's rugby. There's always 20% of your first team injured because yeah. that's the way it goes. Yeah. Like... We're wait, waiting for Simon is probably not going to be the, the greatest... Um, policy for Munster Hope over the next little while. It'll help for sure. Sounds like a Beckett. I was just about to say, yeah. I mean, the reason there's no um, interval in the Beckett plays is because they're all so bleak, everybody would leave at half time. I was just about to say, which is more bleak, the work of Beckett or the Van Grand Munster era? There's the YouTube headline. <laughs> 9.37 this morning. OTBAM is Joke, brought to you live commenters. each morning. <laughs> is it? Um, yeah, of course, Munster's more bleak. It's it's fifty fifty. I mean, I would never, I would never downplay the work of Samuel Beckett uh, in such a way. That that's what the joke was, obviously. Um, the, uh, <laughs> uh, we'll come back to that one. OTBAM brought to you live each morning by Gillette Labs for an effortless finish to your day. We're back tomorrow morning for half past seven with Leinster and Ireland lock James Ryan, a twentieth anniversary Saipan special with those involved at the time. Plus much more. We're, we might be over-promising and under-delivering on that one come tomorrow. The media had a big part to play in 2002. Do, 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 do you care anymore? Have you had enough? Are you side-panned out? Not really, because I think we've kind of swerved side-pan for so long for fear of being side-panned out to the point that I'm ready to side-pan again. Are you? Okay. I'm not sure. I, I'm definitely in two minds about the whole thing. Yeah, why? Just your 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 consistency. No. Because it was, it was, you know, we were, we were alive. You know, my thing about well, we want to feel alive. We definitely felt alive during that. It didn't work out. Um, that was your big breakout. You and John Delaney in the room. You with the earring in. I should, I should put it back in for the piece tomorrow. Shouldn't you I? should actually. I can yeah. find it. OTB AM with Gillette. Get into your flow with the new Gillette Labs Razor with exfoliating bar.